0: with rob and zach this is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre abnormal or off kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp i'm zach and inside or out i'm a prisoner either way
1: I had to go with that quote because the other one I was going to choose is, I'm crying and pissing in my pants like a goddamn three-month-old baby. (laughs) (laughs) We are continuing on with the absolutely wonderful Martin Breast series with his second movie going in style. And I have to say, Zach, now that we've finished Hot Tomorrow's, a movie that, as I think we discussed last week... Maybe since 1977, we are maybe two out of eight people that have ever seen it after that. Uh, This one, I think, is a little more popular, but we have to announce, of course, that we are talking about going in style from 1979. If anybody who checks out our titles and wants to watch the movies before they listen to our discussion, if you watched the one with Morgan Freeman, you watched the wrong one. Cusack (laughs) saying... Uh oh, I watched the wrong one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, to be honest, um, if Ben was here, I could absolutely see Ben going, like, Rob, I know you send me copies of these movies, but I've watched them, you know, I rent them and all this stuff. And he's like, Morgan Freeman was in this movie. He'd be like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, we are talking about the original. I also, at the start, I want to say something I said to Zach before we began recording. I said I wasn't going to watch the remake, but I did. So Mm. this uh, might—we'll talk about in this episode, the remake, because I think it's an interesting comparison, because how do you update this movie for the modern era? I don't think this is going to let any floodgates open from our Starship Troopers episode. I still refuse to watch the Total Recall and RoboCop remakes. (laughs) <laughs> so that that's a different thing and i think this is a neat perspective this shows my kind of like interest in say martin Brest, where i want to know how a movie gets remade versus paul verhoeven where i'm just like you can't improve on perfection something like that you if cannot. that makes sense
0: you, you cannot
1: <laughs> so i i guess if uh if there's nothing else to say at the start we can jump right into going in style 1979 and i want to start with the thesis of this series Once again, if you remember from last week, Zach And yes, last week we talked about this, Zach It should be fresh in your head <laughs> I said that we are now talking about Martin Brest Not only, you know, his directing capabilities His, his movies, his filmography We're also trying to understand How he eventually makes Gigli <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
1: and once again everybody check out episode 99 of Cinemodities where we discuss Gili. but a really interesting thing about this about Martin Brest and this film out of all the movies he's directed there's only three that he's written it's Hot Tomorrows going in style and Gili. so we are talking about the last movie of his that he writes until Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez kidnap a mentally handicapped Justin Bartha (laughs) Which I find fascinating, because just like we <laughs> talked about last week, Hot Tomorrows is really about the infatuation and the attempt to understand what death means to somebody. I would say going in style is also very much about death in a very different way, as I'm sure we'll discuss. But it's kind of a bummer to me that Martin Brest clearly has this this notion of discussing death in many different forms. And then we get Gili. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah It's, it's, oh god G- Gigli, is it, the more and more I think about Gigli Considering that it's been, what, a year since we recorded that episode is a masterpiece In, in that It's, like, it, it very f- Obviously is in the same ballpark As a lot of these movies Yeah But I think Martin Brest was trying to do something That just mass audiences weren't ready for Circa 2003
1: I I would agree, and this is that's going to be a really interesting uh, when we finish point when we finish up this series. You know, after we've done Beverly Hills Cop, after we've done Midnight Run, after I get to revisit uh, Meet Joe Black and Scent of a Woman, it'll be really interesting to talk about how you know his foray into the studio system, which happens after this with Beverly Hills Cop, uh, really kind of influences Geely. But I'm getting ahead of myself, I guess. While I'm getting ahead of myself, I do want to say, of course, at the end of the series, I'll give my rankings. We've been canceled for a lot of things on this podcast, Zach. Both, you know. Yes, we have. A a lot of times when you've been here for that first two and a half years, when you left, we continued to get canceled. Where I put Gili on my Martin Breast movie rankings might get us canceled as well. I just have to say.
0: (laughs) That's disappointing, Rob.
1: So I think then we have to talk about some context. This is a movie that is a little more accessible than Hot Tomorrows. Not by much, I would say, but a little more accessible. Um, I did not really know about this movie at all until we did our Glee discussion. I started to become infatuated with Martin Brest. And as Zach knows, uh, before the pandemic hit, I found a little, you know, secondhand DVD and bookshop in Fort Collins. And I found Going in Style on DVD for $2 and I bought it. So I own this movie just like I own Hot Tomorrows. So this is a series that is truly breaking new ground. I watched it. I think I told Zach about it. And I said, you know, one day we'll have to talk about Martin Brest, this mythical figure that we discussed in Gigli, our Gili episode. Um, what about you, Zach? Are you familiar with this movie at all? Uh, or uh, Did you have any context before I, you know, kind of said, well, Zach, you pick three quarters of 2021. I'll pick eight. Ep- <laughs> well, episodes. No, it's not even eight. I think seven episodes I get to pick. <laughs>
0: It's it's a very minimal amount come 2021 for Rob. Uh, No, my contact with this is pretty much non-existent other than like as I was watching it. I'm like, why does this premise sound so familiar? Mm -hmm. And what happened is that like over the course of time, like like this movie has been borrowed, pillaged from numerous times oh yeah um it, it's one of those unfortunate movies that probably doesn't get the respect it deserves because it's been borrowed from so many times that's probably its biggest fault is that it's such a universal premise that everyone can kind of just pick at it and never really give it its due at the same time other than that and the fact that uh zach Praft uh braff directed the uh the remake of it which is It's own uh, can of worms. I really don't have much else to say. And I'm like, oh, this seems like, I'm not sure if Rob remembers, but like in 2013, there was another like vehicle like this for like, like aged actors, like Morgan Freeman and other, I think it was like Alan Arkin. And, and like, again, this, this is like prime prime remake fodder.
1: you just named two of the actors in the remake of this movie so
0: <laughs> oh alan arkin was in the remake
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's morgan freeman alan arkin and michael kane oh god really michael kane P- settled for this yes and i don't want to want to jump is, there yet but
0: that is disappointing it for is many many reasons the
1: remake is highly disappointing <laughs> <laughs> but no i think uh, i think i know what you're talking about there's you We get into this kind of – I guess maybe early 2010s to mid-2010s. There's these slew of movies where it's like, oh, all these actors that people know, they're getting up there in age, so we're going to make a movie that really harps on that. I think what – well, the bucket list, of course, with Morgan – I think it's Morgan yes, Freeman and, and Jack that's, Nicholson. That's,
0: that's what I was thinking of, yes.
1: Yeah, and then the other one I know of is um, Last Vegas where it's like Morgan Freeman, Kevin Klein. Mm-hmm. other old people that they go <laughs> to Las Vegas as, as like a whim. And I, I, I think the only reason I remember Las Vegas is there's a moment in the trailer where it shows like Morgan Freeman packing a suitcase and he's like ready to jump out a window and he like braces himself. And it turns out that it's like a three inch drop. I remember oh. that very specifically from the trailer of last Vegas uh, for some reason, but no, you're, you're right. There's this movie. I guess we should say deals very heavily in the elderly And for some reason in, like, the 2010s, that became a huge thing. (laughs) Even, right, the Expendables. That became like, hey, all these old action stars that, you know, can't jump over a fence anymore, we still want them to be a part of SAG, so they got to do something. (laughs)
0: You know what the strangest mystery was with the Expendables series is that Taken came out after the first Expendables, Okay. Liam Neeson was never in any of those movies.
1: Oh, I have never seen any of the Expendables, and I've only seen the first Taken.
0: I have seen all the expendable movies. I've only ever seen the first Taken movie. Um I know it's it, it's a meme at this point, but like after a while you just have to remember that like if if they're able to take Liam Neeson's like daughter so many times, maybe <laughs> maybe he's just a bad parent. Does
1: does she get taken again in the sequel?
0: I'm pretty sure she does. Oh, okay. So, so are you saying Taken Two is just like the Hangover franchise? It's I like, it, like it's happening. You took the words again.
1: right out of my mouth, Zach. I was about to yes. say, is is um I don't know the actress's name, but the daughter in Taken she
0: was Lost. She's, she's in, in lost. lost. Yeah,
1: she's Shannon in Lost. Yeah, and so I was about to say, is Shannon from Lost in the Taken series the equivalent of Justin Bartha in the Hangover franchise?
0: M- more or less. More <laughs> or less.
1: I, I hope that there's like a – I don't know how many Takens there are, but the most recent run, I'm assuming it's Taken 7, where we have the scene where Liam Neeson says, I have a particular set of skills, and the dude on the phone goes,
0: yeah, yeah, we know, we know. <laughs> Rightfully so. Rightfully so.
1: So, so yeah, good good tangent on the elderly. We're going to be talking about the elderly a lot in this episode because I think you mentioned it before, Zach, that this is a a very – common premise, at least for, you know, our modern age in this, these last 10 years, 15 years of modern Hollywood, the premise of, you know, doing something with the elderly, but more specifically, I remember searching for this movie. I remember when, when I got into Martin breast because of our Gili discussion and our Meet Joe Black discussion, of course, don't don't forget about that one from uh, May the 4th on Knights of Vader. I remember looking into his movies and finding going in style and reading about it and The only thing, if you just take a glance at going in style, it says three elderly men decide to rob a bank because either they'll get away with it and live well or they'll go to jail and have a place to live. That's basically what this movie is set up as. And when when I finally got it, when I finally bought this movie and watched it, I was like, that's barely what the movie is about. The bank robbery is over 39 minutes into this movie. There's an hour to go. And I – well, I don't want to get too ahead of what I think this movie is about and how it relates to the uh, the death concept of Martin Breth, Brest or his interest in death. But that premise, elderly men decide to go on, I guess for all intents and purposes, an adventure because the consequences don't really matter to them. This is, I think – what you were getting at before with the premise that is so common these days that it's almost like, you know, been bastardized in the modern Hollywood era to pushing someone to their limits. And it's like, you know, all oh, the consequences don't matter. And even this, the premise of this movie makes me think of um, Modest Mouse's song King Rat. There's a line in that song where they say, We laughed about pay and rent because the county jails are free.
2: Went choked on the street, tap water well. I'm going to have to try the real thing. I took your lap out of car and knew not swing Any time I tried honest job all when the chill had the whole man we laugh about being ready cuz the county just free know you know you know it was all
1: And that's exactly what the premise of this movie is because it's like we always have this this thing to fall back on. Quick aside. Trivia question for you, Zach. Uh
0: Uh-oh,
1: uh-oh. The Modest Mouse King Rat music video. The title of the song is King Rat. Band is Modest Mouse. It's a great music video. It's about whales on a boat that are, like, fishing for humans, and it's fantastically animated. It's a great song. It's a great video. Do you know who directed that music video? David Lynch? Heath Ledger.
0: (laughs) <laughs> really? Yes,
1: and it is one of my favorite music that? videos of all time. How about that? Um I remember when we did our music video series, I was really trying to figure out how to work in Modest Mouse so we could get to that one, but I have to say I hate all of Modest Mouse's other music videos. They are bland. That okay. was a that was our quick trivia corner. So, I wanted to say that's our setup for this movie because just like Hot Tomorrow's, even though a little more people have seen this movie, that's the setup. Three old men played by george burns art carney and lee strasberg joe al and willie they decide to rob a bank and if they get away with it fantastic if they don't they live the rest of their days out in jail it's a great premise it's a great setup and i think when i first read this i was in the mindset of modern movie making i was really thinking like oh this is gonna be this is gonna be the premise of the movie. Like you have George Burns, Art Carney. I don't. I didn't really know Lee Strasberg, but you know George Burns and Art Carney, very comedic actors. And I thought this was gonna be like a barrel of laughs. Like oh, they gotta you know figure out how to do this robbery, figure out how to go through with it. That would be the whole movie. The movie is barely about the bank robbery, which is what yes. I love. I love the fact that we do get our comedic elements of them setting up. Like I think one of my favorite scenes is. They're trying to figure out which bullets fit in their guns. Yep. And it's it's just so great just to see them be like, No, 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 that's not, that's too small, that's too big. And then what Willie starts handing Joe more bullets and he's and Joe says something like, Willie, Willie's doing better than you, Al, you gotta pick up the pace or something like that. Like it's 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 that dry, I guess, late seventies humor that these actors or personalities were known for.
2: No, this is too big. Too big. Oh, okay. Too big, too big. Oh, this one. Too small. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a small one. no, that's a small one too. Let's see. Yeah, that works. Yeah, more like uh, that. Well, let me see that. Well, match right there. Look at that. That's it right there. No, good. Another like that. Too small. Willie is doing a better job than you are. Well, Willie's in the way. Yeah. All right, right no, that's... That's good. That's a big one. That's, it is? No, oh, let me see oh, that. that. No, that's, it isn't. It's perfect. Good, good, good. That's it. That's not it. Let's start again. Let's start from scratch. The well, bank will be closed.
1: But then, after the bank robbery, like I said, at 39 minutes into the movie, the bank robbery is over the movie literally becomes about, well, how do we accept life and how do we accept now that we've went on this adventure, we've taken this step? I would say, I guess to put it in perspective before I throw it to you, Zach, I think this is a coming-of-age story that recognizes that age doesn't matter when you come to it, if that makes sense.
0: I uh, I I think I don't know if I, dis, if I agree with that or if I disagree with it. Um, I agree <laughs> with you in that as far as I expect the play like any sort of heist, like when you think of this, like any sort of movie that involves a robbery, you expect the heist and the planning of the heist to be such an integral part of the plot that's going to dominate it. Like think yeah. of any sort of like, like, like Ocean's 11 film, Mission Impossible. You think of anything that involves typically some sort of stealing something of value that will really commandeer the plot for the majority of it because that's usually where most of your drama and comedy and conflict comes from.
1: And that's not even I think I agree with you, and but that's not even, you know, when you say that it's not also just in modern Hollywood. most heist movies, like the original Oceans Eleven, the original Italian job, the heist, the the actual hatching of the plan is always the big set piece. It's the climax of the movie.
0: Sure, exactly. So, like, as I was watching this, and I'm kind of looking at, like, the runtime of the film, and you kind of... You get to the bank heist about, what? A third, maybe halfway through the film. You're like, what's gonna happen? Like, is this gonna become, like, a dog day afternoon film? Yeah. Are we gonna be stuck in the bank for the rest of the film? Then, like, once they escape, it's like, oh, I guess not. And then... Once you see Art Carney die, it's pretty obviously – it's pretty obvious where the film is going at that point. Like it has nothing – the bank heist is more of a element of the plot as opposed to a crux of the plot. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And Lee Strasberg dies for a sec, okay?
0: That's all that matters because he's the least interesting – he is <laughs> sleepwalking the <through laughs> Yes, yes. Film.
1: but then Art Carney also does die. I guess we have to mention Art Carney. He's He's got to have a special place in our hearts because he is, of course – in the Star Wars Holiday Special,
0: goddamn right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who he plays. He is not Gourmanda. That's all I remember. But he
0: has the uh, isn't he plays multiple roles in that. He's the uh, well, sure, but oh he's, God, not, he's, he's, he's not. He's not. He's not there for, there for the, the whipping and in the stern, though. <laughs> no, but he plays the spy for the rebellion, and he's also in the bar uh, B Arthur's bar on Tatooine, yes. where he has like the uh, volcano in his head.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's right. That is him. I was remembering the uh, the spot or the dude that shows up to the um the the Baka household, the, <laughs> whatever they're called, the
0: that's him, house. Too. That's yeah, him too. him that's
1: that's what I remembered him most from. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so so yes, um, we we do have to mention Art Carney in that in that respect. But yeah, I'm. That's the thing that really hooked me when I first watched this movie. You know, like I said, I got it on DVD and I was like, I gotta check it out. It's in Martin Brest. It's one of his earlier ones. It's technically his first full commercial feature film because, you know, I think even 1979 nobody saw Hot Tomorrow's. But you know, check out last week's episode. And that's the thing that blew me away is the bank robbery is over and done so quickly, and then it becomes this reflection on accepting accepting the concept of death but also rejecting it and that's where i get this kind of coming of age it, it's coming of age story for the elderly because i love that whole thing like of course it's their first time robbing a bank fine that's that's the fun comedy part of this movie but then it's the first time that any of them have, f- have flown on a plane or have gone to vegas they're facing the unknown and that doesn't have an age limit and that's fantastic. This movie's quite wholesome, I should say.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, it's it's that's the thing that's also very strange about this movie is that like it was the it came out in 1979,
1: Christmas Day. So, yes,
0: <laughs> yes, it came out at the end of 1979, and it's it's like you said, it's very wholesome. Especially for a film of that time period. Like, as I was watching this, I'm like, I bet this was a theater even in 1979 that smelled like church because grandma and grandpa <laughs> were sitting in the theater. Oh, I and, love that George Burns. <laughs> exactly. Like, I looked up George Burns, like, biography. I'm like, he was born in the 1800s. It's like, Jesus.
1: He's the I'm reason like... I started drinking
0: Maxwell House. <laughs> Now that is a reference, folks.
1: You that's not, what he's. Not... That's one of his first things. He was an advertiser for Maxwell House. From my research, I, I found.
0: I, I I know, but like that—that's a reference to end all references, Rob. Like, Welcome is...
1: to the Martin Vress series. Where, <laughs> we're disenfranchising the listener in a different way than we ever have before. You Last are... week, you could—you nobody can see that fucking movie. Get out of here, audience. This week, you're not going to understand what we're talking about. <laughs>
0: like you are disenfranchising me at this point. Like that should be stated. <laughs> Oh this is great <laughs> I'm glad you're happy Rob uh, the, the point being Is that It it comes down to Kind of just I, I, I don't know who this ma- Movie was for Like I clearly like Like, Martin Bruss was only, what, in his late 20s when he made this film? I think he was 27, from what I read. Yes. Yes, from what, from the, because Rob showed me a behind-the-scenes clip for this. Yes. Or a bonus feature, I guess. And in all honesty, like, as I was watching this, I was like, what was the point of this? As I was watching it, I'm just like, I'm like, is this pertinent to anything? And, like, by the time it was over, I'm like, like, that's it? And then, like, I realized, oh... It's not pertinent at all, other than just giving some, like, very, very vapid context.
1: Well, uh, the the bonus feature I wanted to share with you, Zach, is, well, one, on the DVD that I have, you have the movie. You have subtitles in English, French, or Spanish. You have the trailer (laughs) and that bonus feature.
0: That is it. I I, I have to say, I don't deny that. But at the same time, I kind of find it fascinating that bonus feature is so so i don't think vacuous
1: is a strong enough term no no you're you're not wrong the the best part of the bonus feature is that what so i guess we should say um on the dvd it's listed as you know art carney and george burns on dinah and apparently Dinah. dinah was a show but from my research when this movie was coming out it was not called dinah it was called dinah and friends Oh, so the DVD gets it wrong, but the most interesting part of the bonus feature is that when it starts, it's a six and a half minute clip from this show, Dinah and Friends, and it begins with Art Carney already like talking to Dinah and someone else who I have no idea who it is that looks very strange, like it's it's a person straight from the seventies, and Art Carney is gargling <laughs> and coughing, yeah, for yeah. no reason.
3: A new movie called Going in Style, Star, starring George. Be right with you. Okay. You can't, you can't drink and talk at the...
2: <laughs> what?
3: <laughs> it's okay. Are you all Did I get any right? on you? No, no. It's all right. I'm just waiting. No, that's a prop
2: cough.
1: And then nothing really matters in the, in the actual interview. They show a clip from the movie, and it's like, if you've seen the movie, it's like, okay, I don't care, because it's, it's just a clip from the movie. The reason I wanted to share this with you, Zach... And the reason I enjoy it, even though you're correct, it is pretty vacuous. As far as I can tell, the only information we have about Martin Brest is now the Playboy article I found when we discuss Gili and George Burns describing him getting mad at Art Carney while filming the opening credits scene. Yes, yes.
0: So yes. that's it. That was the most enlightening part of this entire thing.
1: That's all we got. And I'll, I'll put the clip into that story because it's fun because it's like Martin Brest is directing these old men about, you know— this, this movie that is about the elderly and he's only 27 and he's getting mad at the comedians he's hired for making like light of his very serious movie.
2: Anyway, we're doing a very quiet scene at the beginning of the picture and we're supposed to walk down the street and the credits are over this long walk and the director, Martin Bresset, said, he says, this is a very, very quiet and sad scene and you're all wrapped up in your own thoughts and you're walking down the street you, you don't even touch each other. All right. No dialogue, you know, just walking or walking. Art slaps me on the back <laughs> and he puts his arm around my shoulder and he links arms with, with Elise Rasberg and the director, how of cut. We did it five different times. <laughs> his arm came up, he touched me, touched Lee. Finally, Martin Brest says, look, he says, Art, he says, it's a sad scene. When the scene starts, put your hands in your pockets and leave them there. We shot it that way that we had to do it over Because while he had his hands in his pocket He was smiling
1: (laughs) And I think that just goes to show Martin Brest as we talked about in Gili, He's a very exacting demanding Filmmaker and this is Just one little Maybe what 40 second To a minute long story that we Have about that at all
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and i but this is the thing that I find, and I don't want to jump too far into the discussion. I'm also going to like, put the
1: clip of Art Carney gargling and coughing in here. You better believe it.
0: Good, good, good. <laughs> I, I hope you do numerous times.
3: You can't, you can't drink and talk at the. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? The thing, though, about this movie, and it's funny, as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking about Rob and I's discussion back from Tales from the Dark Side. We were talking about A Case of the Stubborns, where we had Grandpa and Christian Slater, and it's like Rob and I were arguing about, like, oh, like, what it's like to be old versus, like, understanding that sort of mentality. Because as much as Rob and I like to think of ourselves as grandpas, we are not – Like we might be uh, mentally grandpas. We are not (laughs) physically grandpas. And, like, I've had more experience with, with that sort of aged mentality than Rob has. And as I was watching this movie, and I kind of get why Art Carney had, like, a very low key disregard for Martin Bress's directorial style, or I guess directing during this film, because this is not a story that, or like, like, old people, nobody in their 70s. Would relate to this movie. This movie is designed for people in their like early thirties to be like, "Wow, this is what old age is all about, man!" Like, this movie's about like, like, like we're not going to surrender our lives to the past. Like, just because we're old doesn't mean things are impossible. And once you reach a certain age, you're just like, I don't care. Like, I'm, like I've been dealt the hand I've been dealt partly because of society, partly because of the choices I've made. And I'm just going to kind of deal with it. Like, and that's the thing. It's like no old person's like, I'm going to rob a bank to sit there because like I've wasted my life. <laughs> sure. That's not how old people think. Like, this is a perfect movie as I was watching. I'm like, I want to watch this movie with boompa, And I want a boompa live commentary. <laughs> because Bumpa would just be laughing at this movie. Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Because <laughs> only a young person could make this movie. Nobody over the age of 40 could make this movie.
1: That's one of the reasons I, I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons I, I find this movie so fascinating that you have, like we said, 27 year old Martin Breast writing and directing this movie about, you know, this elderly status, dealing with that status. And it's just. It's fascinating, like I said. And I I I can't I didn't write down where I found it from, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was an interview with uh, Lee Strasberg around the time this movie came out is that he recalled like when he first met Martin Brest, he was like I have clothes that are older than this little kid. Yeah. And that's just
0: I just find that
1: once again, this is why I'm so infatuated with Martin Brest and his career that this is where he goes after Hot Tomorrows. He says, I want to write about the elderly, I want to direct the elderly, and it's just like, oh, that is the weirdest thing. But I, you make a good point that this is some type of very strange, almost kaleidoscopic look for the young into the elderly. Because it's like, oh, you know, um, I think David Mitchell in Cloud Atlas gets at this very well with the ghastly ordeal of Timothy Cavendish, where it's like, you know, How do young see the old? They see them as being slow and getting in their way. So let's write a story where they rob a bank. That type of thing.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing is that, like, it's, it's a young person's view of yes. the elderly. Yes. And that's the thing. And I think it's horribly, horribly misguided in that sense. Like that's the thing. Like as I was watching this, and I know Rob and I have kind of talked about it low key over the years, but like, like we'll look at movies and be like, who is this movie for? Mm-hmm. And as I was watching this, I asked myself that question a lot. And I'm like, who is this film for? Because there's just so many kind of weird moments in this where I'm just like, Nobody, I guess somebody who's lived with people like again, I think we've talked about it a couple of times. My father lived to be 89, my mother to be 66. And it's just like I, I just cannot figure out who this movie is for because people of that age set, like people in their 70s, they don't think this way. Sure. They just don't. That's just not how they think. So like it's it's a young person's interpretation of old age. Yeah, yeah. In a way that's just like it's it's filmed to be super realistic and yet it seems almost fantasy in a conceptual point of view
1: oh a- absolutely absolutely I mean I think this goes back to what we were saying earlier in this discussion with um you know I don't know who directed the bucket list or wrote directed or directed the bucket list or last Vegas, but I would imagine it's not elderly people you know it's it's those those young younger people saying, hey it's like what are the elderly going to do? They're going to, you know, go balls to the wall and what Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson end up on the top of one of the pyramids at Giza, I think, in the bucket list. I think I'm pretty sure that happens. Um Morgan Freeman and Kevin Klein go to Las Vegas and they end up like having sex with younger women. It's like it's, it's very <laughs> much like a fantasy from that young perspective. The reason that I think this movie is different, though, to get at something you mentioned in that last bit, is that I... With the very little information we have, now just going off of how I feel when I watch this movie, I do think Martin Brest in his directing, maybe not so much the writing as we've been saying, but in his directing, has a great deal of respect and care for the concept of being elderly.
0: I, okay. I, That's uh... the toughest
1: thing. I knew this is, this is kind of what I, I was expecting this conversation hinge on, because This is the toughest thing to discern about this movie. Is it just this younger person's fantasy about the concept of being elderly or is it really trying to give it that sense of care? And I think it is giving that sense of care with me saying it's that coming of age story. It's these elderly.
0: I think, okay. I don't. okay. based on what you just said. I don't know. Have an answer for that? Okay. I, I did not think about the film on that sort of level. How I did look at it because about two thirds of the way through, once we've lost Lee Strasberg and we've lost Art Carney, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a tale about the fact of uh, what's his name. We we've Joe has basically his entire life he's fantasized about what it's like to be wealthy, or at least. Financially comfortable. I don't think wealthy. Financially comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And yet he's finally had. He finally. He's finally reached this point where he has what seventy thousand dollars, which I'm not sure what that was in 1979 dollars. <laughs> sure. But it's the idea that he's finally financially comfortable, but it's cost him everybody in his life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to be the moral of the story: is that like, okay, he's financially wealthy, but personally, he's bankrupt. And I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting concept that like, OK, we're so obsessed with money. And I'm like, oh, this is a great parable considering that we're right before the 1980s where you start to have that mindset of greed is good. And like, oh, this is a film that was really ahead of its time. And then as the film progresses and you have Joe talking to the the guy from The Thing um, Art's yes. nephew. Uh, yes. yeah. I noticed yes. that. I was like, I've seen him before. <laughs> yep, the guy from The Thing. And like, we have him talking to Art, Art Carney's um, nephew. And we're like, Oh, like I'm never going to give back the money. Blah blah, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. I'm a prisoner here. I, I there's no, I'm a prisoner regardless of where I physically am. Yep. And I'm like, Oh God, that's not what this film is about. I'm like, Like you're losing the. Again, I'm not trying to tell Martin Brest what to make his film about. But you're losing the point of the story. Like this feels like a yeah, man. Like I no matter where I am, we're a prisoner, whether we're in actual the prison or we're in society, we're all just shackled together. And I'm like, no. I'm like it's the friendships we make. It's that like having friends is infinitely more valuable than having money. They're like, just because you're financially comfortable, if you're alone, that means nothing. And that's where I kind of became disillusioned with the film. Or maybe not even disillusioned, in fact, it felt more hollow because it feels like someone that's more consumed with the idea of achieving a goal than realizing what they currently have. And that's where it's like maybe this film is a perfect antidote for Martin Brest at the time of when he was making this, where it's like, oh, you have someone who's personally wealthy but financially bankrupt, and they're able to achieve the inverse of that, yet they're not able to – Recognize that because I don't even know was this this was this film successful, Rob? Because I didn't do any research on this because any film that came out in this time period was always hard to discern whether a film of this of this time set was was uh successful or not.
1: I I actually could not find uh, a budget for this movie, but apparently it made almost thirty million dollars according to the numbers. What
0: Dot was com. the budget?
1: I could not find a budget.
0: It probably made money. It probably was successful. If I had to guess,
1: yeah, I mean. I with with uh, just the um you know George Burns Art Carney Lee Strasberg their notoriety and and this movie was certainly marketed because I watched the trailer on the DVD as a <laughs> as a, a heavy comedy which it is not um I think even for the you know 70s status I think it probably was successful I mean of course this is the movie that um afterwards of course Martin Brest goes on to direct Beverly Hills Cop that's 5 years later but between these two he's picked up to direct War Games, and then gets fired because he's a maniac from what we talked about in our Geely (laughs) episode, you know, so this had to do something for Martin Brest, but, but I want to, I want to take it back a little bit to, to one, say that before we started recording, Zach made a prediction for this discussion that we were both going to respect and appreciate this movie, but disagree about what it's saying, and you are absolutely correct, Zach. I, I think that they're the, I think I want to start by saying that I think the money aspect of this is rather minimal. Once again, I think that it starts with that bank robbery, and eventually, you know, it starts on this a superficial level of that bank robbery of getting money and living well off that type of thing. And of course, we see Joe calculating things and saying, "Oh, this will be, you know, this much. We'll have this much more than our social security and be able to do this, that, the other thing." But I take it more really as that sense of adventure. They're trying—Joe these at the start and then the group of three elderly men are trying to regain that spice of life, that spark that they had when they were younger. And now this is is where we're getting into truly total rationalization territory that I really love about this movie. So I'm interested to see what you think about this, Zach. After Willie dies, after Lee Strasberg has his heart attack or whatever— And we see Joe go back to the apartment. He busts out like an old box of memorabilia. You remember that scene where he takes out like all the old photographs and stuff? And in that scene, we see him look at all these pictures. And every single one of these old timey pictures, him revisiting his youth, physically looking back at his youth, they are all bordered. They're all those pictures where whether it's a big border or small, there is some type of emptiness around the actual picture frame, the frame of the photograph. And I think we get that one, which from what I, as far as I could tell, is an actual picture of young George Burns, where he looks like kind of a a 1920s gangster looking off to the side. And that's a very rectangular or nearly square photograph with just an empty border around it. And the last shot of the movie is George Burns walking away in the prison hallway? And all the only way we see him,
0: yes, he's framed by the little ru- the little window in the prison in the door.
1: door. And I take that to mean that George Burns has recaptured, not recaptured, he has done something in his old age. Elderly should just, you know, be neutral and die. I think that's kind of, you know, what a lot of people say. They're slow, get out of our way, go to a nursing home till you're gone, that type of thing. I'm not saying that's what I believe. I am think that's what a, you know, a lot of the uh, the notion of elderly is, but that last shot reflects on him in his youth saying this moment of his life is just as important as his youth was, as those snapshots. Martin Brest is framing this last, I'm not giving into the cops, you know, I'm a prisoner here and here, this is what I think, this is how I feel, I have another snapshot of my life that is just important as every other moment. It's like saying that even if you're elderly... You don't have to have peaked. It's not just downhill. That's how I took this movie and uh, Joe in particular, but the other characters as well. I think Willie, the one who's reluctant to go on the bank robbery, he's eventually the one that really starts to love it, you know? Mm -hmm. And Art Carney is the one who kind of is, you know, hesitant after the fact about what to do after Willie dies. He's the one that ends up going to Las Vegas, gambling, having fun, rolling the dice, not knowing what's going on, making... Uh, lovey-dovey eyes at that girl at the restaurant I think that's what this is it's about that if you're old you don't have to peak you can still have that spice of life going for you and that's why I think the money doesn't really matter that much but one I'm interested to see what you think about what I just said and two I do agree with you the money is very heavily emphasized. So I understand where you're coming from.
0: Okay. Well, this is okay. This is where I feel like this is going to be another conversation like that tales from the dark side discussion <laughs> where it's like Rob and I have two different perspectives of the elderly. Rob has never had to live with an elderly person before. That is true. That where, is true. where I have that firsthand experience so it comes down to – I think Rob's interpretation is probably more aligned with Martin Bresses, Martin Brestes' was at the time of producing and writing this film. Um, I, I don't disagree that you're probably right when, he, when it came to him producing this. But I think once you reach a certain age, these things don't matter to you anymore. There's a reason why the elderly, when they're driving, do not do – well beyond the speed limit. They have grown beyond being reckless for the sake of being reckless.
1: That's I mean it's a fascinating idea what you're putting forward. And I think this might actually be in a little different category than other discussions we've had about these things. Well maybe not the elderly and um you know Tales from the Dark Side. Um but you know the other places we've disagreed about this stuff is that this is really just different banks of information that we have. So I I can't really disagree with you. Like we yelled at each other a lot in speed racer and dread where we could make a disagreement it's just i don't know and you're right and to be fair like we said you know i'm 28 now martin Brest was probably 26 27 when he was writing this so it's a tough one it's an absolute tough that's, one Zach.
0: but that but the point i'm trying to get at is, is that like old age interpreted from a young person's point of view versus someone who's actually experiencing it in real time are two very different things oh sure
3: no and 100% I think there's a, yeah there's
0: there's a reason why you never read on the news about people in their 70s robbing banks. It's because once you reach a certain age, you just become apathetic toward everything. You've experienced most of the things you're ever going to experience in life. You've had your fun, and it comes down solely at that point to just recollection. And that's the thing I find, and that's the thing I find fascinating about this film. It's the it's in a young person's idea of yeah. being elderly. And I think that's that film's greatest achievement. That's
1: what I was about to say. We were getting at that idea earlier with that. This is a young person's fantasy of the elderly, which is fascinating. Like, I think we agree on that. And but that once again, my my retort to that is is something I want to say. But at the same time, it can argue that. Will I really feel this way when I'm older? If I ever get this old, maybe I would want to rob a bank, you know, but I don't know that I, I can't say that for certain because I am not. Elderly right now, and my opinions might change as, as the years go on. Rob,
0: we're not going to live to be elderly. I think we've well, that, know that's well, not gonna I be true. Think,
1: okay, once again, this is why Zach and I are perfect for this podcast because he's just read my goddamn mind. I think that you know when uh, Zach and I get old enough to form our suicide pact, it will be a live episode of Cinemodities.
0: <laughs> It'll be the first suicide ever recorded on a podcast. We're gonna we're, we're so, gonna we, revisit. We just...
3: Going we to in style and and pu- kill ourselves. We're just
0: going to figure out who has to push the publish button between the bus.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: that'd be a great, I was about to say prank to pull on Ben. Prank might be too light of a word. Be like, okay, Ben, we're all going to record together. And then it's like, after you hear this loud noise, just hit publish. And <laughs> it's going to be us <laughs> killing ourselves. And then Ben's going to be like, oh. Are you guys okay? Okay, I guess go on Podbean. Here we go now. <laughs> no, it is. It is. This is why I want to talk about this movie because, like I said last week, we have more movies that we have not discussed than Mondays in this month. And I knew we had to discuss these two early movies because this one in particular is so fascinating because it is so – I don't want to say unfathomable. It's almost impenetrable at what the hell is this movie, who's it for, and what's it trying to say like you were getting at.
0: But that's the thing, though. I, I disagree with that because I know we've talked about before in other movies on this podcast, like one of my favorite examples being Vox Locks, where like you watch that film and you're like, well, what's the point of the film? And it's like it feels like it's trying to teach me something. I just don't know what that is. Yeah, this feels like very obviously, OK, The it's it's oh, God, Rob's going to hate this. <laughs> but like that Michael, Coyne, uh, Michael Caine, Michael Kane quote from the end of inter, from Interstellar, where it's like, do not do not go quietly into that dark, dark night age should rage on like it feels like that the movie like if that quote played like over like the very beginning of the film i'd be like i get it like that's what he was going for um but just as somebody like i said I, maybe i'm more biased because i've experienced this thing in real time sure that's not how the elderly look at the world the elderly not do not look at the world as i was cheated." in my last breath of life, I am going to get even in these (laughs) last, I get the 11th hour. That's not how the elderly look at things. That's how a young person looks at the concept of old age, as in, I refuse to be cheated after 50 plus years of existence. And that's probably why, like, Art Carney, George Burns, and Lee Strasberg had some level of I don't want to say contempt or defiance, but like why they didn't take this as seriously as Martin Brush probably wanted them to do on the set of this in seventy eight seventy
1: nine. No, I I don't disagree with you. I mean that that's once a, I mean I said it so many times, but that's why I find this fascinating. And you mentioned it earlier. I, I actually would love to do a me you Bumpa viewing party of this. And at the end of the movie ask him if he wants to rob a bank
0: <laughs> okay rob I, what I want you to do and depending on when this episode goes out i think we have what about like two to three weeks or this episode goes out two weeks about two weeks you, yeah yeah i want you to contact boom whether it be through i don't know phone call text message email uh uh, uh oh god a dm and just be a smoke signal <laughs> carrier uh, pigeon, telegraph <laughs> carrier pigeon i want you to ask him boom If you had the the ability to rob a bank and get away with it, would you? And I want to know his response. Okay, okay. (laughs) If you had the ability to rob a bank personally and get away with it, would you? And and I want to know what that answer is. I think that'd be that'd be a fantastic insight into the mindset of someone. that this film is – like, that's the thing. I don't even know who this film is made for. Yeah, exactly. Like I've like been saying, like, yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, I cannot imagine a bunch of teenagers at Christmas of 1979. Because I'm pretty sure another film that came out this same time period was The Black Hole.
1: The Black Hole was a
0: few days before,
1: and even a few days before that was Steve Martin's The Jerk, which I really enjoy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that I, – Like I, I don't know who – again, this film feels like it was made for – Oh God. I, I, I guess baby boomers in their like 30s hmm mm-hmm. like Late twenties, early thirties. I again I, I just don't know who this was yeah. made for. Yeah. Like the fact that Mark when when Martin Brest is discussed in that behind the scenes feature well, interview feature, and um, they're like, oh, he's twenty seven. I'm like, Jesus Christ.
3: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, this
0: guy is so out of his freaking depth. Like I, he just it just it feels like a fundamental misunderstanding of the elderly. Well, I
1: when you say misunderstanding, I think that's where I don't have enough knowledge or we're coming, like I said before, we're coming from different knowledge bases, but I want to get at it again once. A, I think that he has a respect for it, though, even if he might understand it, he can respect it. And if that might lead to some issues, because if you don't really understand something, can you truly respect it in a yes positive yeah, exactly. way? Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for, for saying that.
1: And, that. and that I totally agree with. But. One of the things I want to talk about where I think this respect is coming from is the directing style. And and once again this is I'm probably biased with my infatuation with Martin Brest, but I love the fact that everything of the the characters performances of our three main elderly men to the actual cinematography is very stunted. Of course our old men move very slowly. It takes time for them to get up from seats and things like that to do things, of course. Um, even the way they interact with each other, whether it be comical or not, the scene that comes into my mind is, you know, are you going to shave? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Are you going to shave? Joe, are you going to sh- – are you shaving? No, I'm making eggs. I mean, are you going to shave today? No. And it's just like everything about this movie – I as I as I think about it more maybe respect isn't the right word but the cinematography and the the screenplay I think it mimics that elderly style and once again maybe you're right maybe that is a misunderstanding of what elderly is it's that Martin Brest just sees it as slow so he feels he needs to just plant the camera down and have all three of them blocked in frame fitting bullets in their gun and that's just the scene but I appreciated that in this movie where we are really watching every single motion that, like, when Joe wakes up in the middle of the night, has to go over to Art Carney, or make coffee, go over to Art Carney, shake him awake, sit back down in the chair and get sad. Like, that's all one continuous shot of just watching him go so slow and and really taking in every single motion that our characters are going through. And honestly, with the two times now... I think once when I bought the DVD and then two times this recording, I felt that that was respectful. It w- It wasn't making these elderly people anything that they weren't. It was really representing them. But once again, I feel like you're going to disagree with me, Zach, because now I have your opinion in my head. And as I say these things, it sounds like it might be played as disrespectful or not disrespectful, but a fantasy of a younger generation.
0: I don't think there's any level of disrespect here. I think there's as much disre- uh, I'm sorry, as, much respect as, as possible. Okay. I think it's not an issue of respect. I think it's an issue of just misunderstanding.
1: Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay.
0: If that makes sense, that is. No,
1: I, I think I think I get what you're saying, because with the scenes that I just brought up are very different from, say, the bank robbery scene, where it is much more quickly paced, quickly edited, I guess I should say, rather than paced. And that's that's where some of what we were saying before, there's that scene when they start to rob the bank, you know, they, they pull out their guns- And uh, Mm -hmm. they're dressed up like the Rat Pack, if you wanted to date this movie even further. Uh, Oh, yeah. And then, um, you know, they're like, this is a stick-up. And they hold their guns out. And they're like, nobody move, blah, 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 the usual bank robbery stuff. And, like, what, the manager of the bank walks out and goes, you have to be kidding.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, and that's that's half the fun of it. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that fantasy element I think we're getting at, of course, where it's like, oh, nobody really thinks these three old men would rob a bank, you know? Isn't that the the hook of this movie? That type of thing.
0: Sure, and that's where, like, even as I was watching this, I'm like, I was hoping that there'd be some, like, plot point in this where they would, ex- like, and maybe this is my own folly for the way we live in today's society where everything needs to be explained, but even I was hoping it to be, because I know at one point on the radio, George Burns hears, like, oh, like, they think that the robbers are just, like, kind of two-bit amateurs. Yes. And I'm, like, I was hoping there'd be some level of explanation as to how they would catch them, and, like, I get that. That's not really relevant to the film at all, mm-hmm. so it's 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 easy to bypass that, but I was just hoping, considering the way that George Burns originally has such such a level of Contempt for that remark. Yeah, that we we get some sort of follow up about like how they caught them, because keep in mind also that it's really hard to think about this, especially in today's society, where we're so technologically advanced when it comes to robberies and things like this, and we've oh, had yeah. years upon years of of just forensic analysis and how to prevent these sort of things from happening. But like in 1979. Like, I guess the same philosophy kind of applies even to this day, is that, like, robbing an institution isn't hard. It's just a a time game. If you're able to get in and out before the cops get there, Mm -hmm. for the most part, it's not hard to rob an institution. It's not hard. It's just a matter of getting away because as long as you wear gloves and your face is obstructed, there's really no way to catch you unless – you there's some sort of die pack in in the, sure, uh, sure. the 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 bills where that ruins them
1: yeah, if you if you don't have a dog day afternoon situation, yeah, <laughs> you're and you're, that, you're almost in the clear. I mean, uh, you want to get crazy, you go like what a Clive Owen an inside man where he builds himself into a wall at the end of the fucking movie. But you know, I see what you're saying.
0: <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I was hoping a little bit more of playing with that, like like any sort of heist, like anything, any sort of story that has a heist element. If if you're going to have your characters get caught. You have to explain it and be like, Oh, this is how I this is how I discovered or this is how I unraveled your charade
1: that's an interesting idea i don't think i was thinking too much about that explanation it's but not
0: I... it's not what it's not what uh martin Brest wanted but it's just one of, the thing, one of those things on a personal level anytime there's a high story oh sure that's what i like to see like is it, i'm not expecting the film to explain that i just personally prefer to see that level of just like this is how we caught this is how we saw you put your hands in the cookie jar yeah yeah
1: and i i you're not wrong there. I think that is, like you said, something I've come to like from more modern tellings of these types of stories. I definitely took that. That's one of my least favorite scenes in this movie. And not to say it's a bad scene, because I think it's no no shock as now we've been discussing this for almost an hour. I do thoroughly enjoy this movie. But I took that whole scene as after Joe gets caught and then he's, like, being interrogated as just, like, that might be the most fantastical young person looking at the elderly scene where Joe Burns is just – sorry, uh, George Burns playing Joe is just, I'm a badass. You got a piece of gum? So what do you say? You going to tell us these things? We'll go easy on you, old man. I say you can go to hell or whatever he says, you know, and thanks yeah. for the gum. And it's just like that. that's the one scene where it's like, okay, they just wanted him to be that, that badass type of character.
0: Yeah, exactly. That is great.
1: This, this brings up an interesting question. Let's say Martin Brest wanted to tell this story, a story at its core not about the bank robbery at, at, the, at the surface level, which, of course, as we've described, is what the movie's marketed as, what the premise is set up as, but wanted to tell more about, say, this um, this coming of age for the elderly, that they, they haven't peaked yet. They can still live a life. Would you get rid of the bank robbery? Would you make it something like, oh, these three friends live together. One of them dies. Inheritance goes to the two of them. They go to Vegas, have a great time. Uh, and, and then that kind of just played but well as i say that maybe that's more of my thinking that's the modern take on this movie
0: okay as somebody who saw the remake tell me what the remake's about okay now, we are getting into the remake and I'll, you, and I'll give you my answer based on what you're how you okay. describe the remake to me i'll answer that question
1: okay we're getting into the remake we're getting into the remake here we go i knew it had to happen 2017 it's called the same thing, going in style. It's directed by Zach Braff. I already mentioned before. Uh, Joe is played by Michael Caine. Al is played by Alan Arkin, and Willie is played by Morgan Freeman. This movie is all about the bank robbery and is set up as socialist propaganda. The movie opens with Michael Caine going to the bank that they have to rob. They're, they're going to rob later, and being screwed out of his house by rising mortgage rates. Two scenes later, the three of them lose their pension to a corporate murder merger at the steel mill they've worked for years. They find that the bank that has screwed Michael Kane, which is the bank for all three of them, is the people or is the company that is dealing with the dissolution of their pension to pay for the company going overseas. So they decide to rob the bank because they've been screwed. And literally it takes 42 minutes for all three of them to agree to the robbery. It takes 59 minutes to get to the robbery. And the last 20 minutes of this also 96 minute film, it's the same length as the original. The last 20 minutes is an Ocean's 11 style reveal of how they got away with it because they do. None of them die. They all get away with it and they all live happily ever after. And when I was watching this movie... They lay on in that first 30, 40 minutes that it is hardcore. Capitalism is bad to the elderly, so somebody should do something about it. Oh, God. Hot take? Oh, God. Probably not a hot take because if our if our cinema audience knows me, if they've been listening, they know me. Uh, cold take, Rob take, this movie fucking sucks. There is a literal, like, eight, seven or eight minute montage of them preparing for the robbery. Like a literal montage. With like the heist music. Like what you expect from like an Ocean's Eleven heist music. It's terrible. It's it's incredibly modernized. It focuses wholly on the robbery. Uh, like I said Michael Caine is losing his house. Because his mortgage rates go up out of nowhere. And he goes to the bank. And he's like you told me that it wasn't likely my mortgage rates go up. And the bank dude is like fuck you. Ha ha. And then uh, uh, Morgan Freeman has a failing kidney. And that's what he has to put all his money towards. And Alan Arkin wanted to be a musician but could never make it. And now he's just like working at the steel mill and his pension gets canceled. It is horrendous. There's a scene, Zach, I fucking hate it, where when they start to think about the robbery, and this is like 35 to 40 minutes in. When they start thinking about actually robbing it. And you get that same scene where the three of them are sitting together and Joe, played by Michael Caine in the remake, is like, I'm thinking about robbing a bank. That was a terrible English accent. Uh, But that starts the ball rolling and they decide that they're going to shoplift from a grocery store as practice for robbing a bank. (laughs) And they get caught. By Kenan Thompson, who's the manager of the grocery store, and this movie turns for ten minutes into an SNL sketch. It is so like you literally have Michael Caine taking a whole canned ham and putting it into into his jacket, and you have Morgan Freeman putting like a whole raw pork loin into his pants. And they're running okay. around the grocery store being chased by security guards. And they're like, Michael Caine has Morgan Freeman in like the uh, the basket of like a rascal trying to get away from the security guards. And I'm like, I fucking hate everything about this movie. There is one good scene. No, actually, there are two good things about this movie. One is a performance. One is a scene. There is a hilarious scene near the beginning where the three of them are hanging out. They actually They actually don't all live together in this one just um, alan arkin and morgan freeman live together michael caine lives with like his daughter and his granddaughter okay. granddaughter played by joey king who zach and i know as ramona from ramona and bezas really um, yes wow <laughs> yeah. but there's a scene where the three of them are hanging out and they're watching the bachelorette and screaming at the tv about it
0: gentlemen good evening good evening welcome to what is essentially the last rose ceremony
2: Caitlin, this is the final rose tonight.
0: She can count, Einstein.
3: My heart is beating out of my chest now. This week was incredible.
0: Sean's
2: boring, and Nick's a man whore. Monogamy is an outdated concept.
3: I am in love, and that's so exciting. Um, it Bam. means I'm that
2: much closer. The only choice she's got. She's Bam. not going to move to a farm in those heels. She's kissed them all. With her tongue. Done the whole cast that way. She's a walking venereal disease.
3: How everything went has made my decision feel like almost impossible.
2: Caitlin, close your mouth.
3: Nick. <laughs> uh, yes. God
2: turn, it, turn it off. It, it, it's a travesty. They never learn.
1: And that's, that's quite funny it's not hilarious it's quite funny i would say but the other thing the best thing about this movie even though it's a nightmare christopher lloyd plays a senile old man in it and i haven't seen christopher lloyd in so long that it was refreshing just to see him in a movie
0: (laughs) okay i I guess but that beggars can't be
1: choosers that's the premise of this movie zach capitalism is bad we need to rob a bank to get at the capitalistic pigs that wronged us. And that is literally what the entire movie is about. It sucks. Okay. I recommend nobody watch the remake. No, it, it sucks Watch the horrible. original. The original it, is actually a very wholesome, well-thought-out, well-crafted film. Even if Zach and I disagree with that, I think we can agree on that, that there is something to it. The remake is literally the bastardization of modern Hollywood. <laughs> If, you, if that's yeah, even a that's, thing.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds like a nightmare.
1: Oh, oh, uh, what's her name? Sh- uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan is in it as a waitress for like two scenes. Who I was like, I know who this is. And I had to look it up. She's Vincent D'Onofrio's wife from Men in Black. The one who's like, oh, it's like he was wearing oh. an Eggers suit. You know, he wanted sugar water. <laughs> and, you know, that, like that woman is in this. And I'm like, this is insane. But I'll tell you something right now. I know Egger, and that was an Eggers. It's like something... Was wearing a
0: like a like a suit, an Eager suit. <laughs> oh God! So okay, so Zach. Okay, I gotta look up who who wrote the remake. Was it Zach Braff? No,
1: Zach Braff was just the director.
0: Okay, so we can't blame him.
1: No, not at all. I mean, uh, so the screenplay was by someone named Theodore Melfi, who I'm not familiar with.
0: Okay. Okay. He did. Uh, he did. Hidden Figures. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. So he. He's a, <laughs> That's Saint, all we got. Saint,
1: hidden Figures.
0: Well, Saint Saint Vincent with what's his name, Bill Murray, Melissa McCarthy,
1: Naomi Watts. Oh. Oh. Okay. I never seen it, but I heard about it. So yeah.
0: he's. So he's. Okay. So he's a little bit of a darling. Yeah. This. This. This seems par for the course for him. Based. Based on what he's also written. Um. He also. Di- oh. He directed. Written figure. Uh. Hidden figures. Oh, Interesting. Okay. So yeah, this this seems par for the course for him. It, it's a it's a social justice. Story. So
1: this this I think gets at something that you asked earlier and even before we recorded, you were like, how the hell do you remake this movie? And this is the answer: make it all about the bank robbery. Yeah. It is it is basically like I, I don't even want to say Ocean's Eleven light because Ocean's Eleven is a movie I kind of enjoy the original and the what the Soderbergh remake. I think that's mm-hmm. Soderbergh, but this is just like diet light free version of Ocean's Eleven. Like, the the, when... So, Matt Dillon is the FBI agent that's, like, investigating the robbery, and he interrogates all of them, and they all, like, tell their their alibis. And like I said, it gives the Ocean's Eleven-style reveal of how they got away with it, like, like how they had their alibis and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, this is the fucking stupidest thing. And also, they do get away with it because a little girl that... Kind, like started to but was stopped from taking off Morgan Freeman's mask during the robbery. She gets brought in to do a lineup, and the movie plays it as the little girl explicitly chooses not to identify Morgan Freeman in a lineup.
0: Oh. And it makes
1: no fucking sense. <laughs> 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 it's a terrible movie. It's, it's an absolutely terrible movie. I mean, it, there's, I don't think... Like I said, the only one, rede- two redeeming things about it is they yell at the Bachelorette, which I'll put the clip in for because it's great. You know, when the Bachelorette, like, picks a dude and they're all like, God damn it, turn this shit off, you know? Like, that's pretty funny. And Christopher Lloyd is just a a gem of acting, I think. Chris, yeah.
0: Christopher Lloyd doesn't say no to anything. Uh,
1: but he also doesn't get asked to do a lot of things anymore.
0: <laughs> well, he's he's always going to be Back to the Future Man, so, like, he'll yes. always be in demand. Yeah, man.
1: well, he's, he's Emmett Brown. He's Judge Doom. Uh geez, what else do we what else is this? I mean he's Switchblade Sam from the Dennis the Menace movie. Can't forget that. Sure. He's old dementia ridden musician in an episode of Fringe. That doesn't count. I but see that's the thing is that's the only place I know him from. I want to see him more. I love Christopher Lloyd. (laughs) But that
0: that doesn't matter though. He's 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 Back to the Future man,
3: and that's all that matters. I know,
1: but I like I still like seeing him. So I like seeing this movie, and especially because he was he was old and senile. And there's a scene where he's like he's like calling out bingo numbers, and he's like G fifty two, and then Morgan Freeman's like, "We want to know who's playing shuffleboard next," and Christopher Lloyd is like g52 like it's stupid but that's that's all i have to latch onto in this movie
0: zach it's so bad <laughs> the, the, the bar is set low for the for bar success. is set
1: very low for this movie but that what like, i think that's the big point is how do you remake this movie make it focus on the bank robbery second question
0: why remake this movie because it's because you know what it is it's it's a very digestible premise
1: it is Elderly men want to rob a bank.
0: And think about it. If you're like The same reason why I was making fun of Martin Brest earlier, if you are basically the screenwriter of this film, and you, uh, the remake that is, mm-hmm. and you sit there, look like – if you're Theodore Melfi, and he was – oh, it doesn't even tell me what year he's born in. Okay, let me see what year he was born in. He's not that old, so clearly – okay, he was born in 1970. So he was writing this film probably when he was in his mid-40s. If, okay. you're a mid, if you're a mid – if you're a mid-40s-year-old Hollywood screenwriter, if you're going to try to adapt this for a modern generation, it's going to be the socialism angle. It's going to be yeah. corporate America is evil. Um, I'm old. I'm, it's going to be – I'm going to get my due back from evil corporate America. And this is this is clearly – it, it almost is stupid how easily contrived a remake would be.
1: Oh, my god. Oh, my god. OK. I'm looking at – it's all coming back to me. I'm looking at my notes. Because I took a few <laughs> notes for the remake. It's all coming back to me. This movie's so stupid. There, There is... Uh, the three old guys, at a certain point, they realize that they might not be cut out for this because they couldn't fucking shoplift from a grocery store, which is just which is absolutely horrendous. That scene is a, a nightmare. And then they decide that they need someone to, like, help them out and teach them the ropes. So Michael Caine is like, I know somebody who's into, like, shady shit. And they go to, like, his ex-son-in-law, played by Peter Serafinowicz. Really? Yeah, in, like...
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. Peter Serafinowicz is in this movie? For,
1: like, three minutes. Oh, my God. But here's the thing, Zach. He sells marijuana and they have, they have old men smoking marijuana jokes in this movie. Oh,
0: whoa. Now that is cutting edge. Oh, man. Old men smoking weed. There's a that clip of this raunchy. movie
1: where the dude wants to make sure they're not cops, so he hands them the joint, and Morgan Freeman smokes it, and the big joke at the end of the scene is Morgan Freeman <sighs> says, you got any snacks? Ho, <laughs> ho! Oh, 10 out of 10. Greatest movie. This movie's fucking stupid as shit. This is the dumbest goddamn fucking movie in existence, Zach. I should have not watched this. I should have. I said I wasn't going to watch it. I shouldn't have watched it.
0: The copy I found is over eight gigs, too. It's huge. God. That's a nightmare. That's just – that's a nightmare. Does this Morgan Freeman ask for funyuns afterwards? He just like, says he snacks. He just okay. says. Okay. He, he hasn't eaten funyuns. <laughs> oh my god! This, yeah, you're right. That that is that is nightmare fuel right there.
1: Alan Arkin has a love interest, and we see them like at the end of sex at a certain point.
3: Ugh. Ugh.
1: Yes, even though I love it. Alan Arkin, Alan Arkin's a very funny man. I don't want to think about him having sex with another old woman. The movie ends with him getting married to that old woman. Ooh. It's
0: it's 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 an it's so so bad. My my my. I jump ahead and say when it comes to the remake, uh, as for cinematic and or late night movie status, it's gonna be a no for me, dog.
1: Did we do a the stat the questions for the uh, Adventures of Babysitting Remake? Do you remember?
0: We had to have. I'm sure. Yeah, to I'm check sure it came up. Yeah,
1: that's that's right. I'm sure it came up. But I'm I'm with you. This is no one should ever watch this movie ever. And like I said, it is literally just. If there was a box that you could take old film stock and put it into and it would be called the modern Hollywood box, it would produce this. Yeah. I right. I hate it. But that's so we had to talk about it cuz that is the remake. Christopher Lloyd is the Keenan Thompson isn't even good in it. He's just like he's playing his character that he always is. I've Kenan Always Thompson's
0: felt. just like he's a paycheck actor for Yeah, those, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And um, you know, I mean, even Michael Caine Alan Arkin and Morgan Freeman, great actors. They don't do much at all in this movie. I, I think when I was reading about it, it was something like Michael Caine enjoyed working with this movie or working on this movie because he like had a summer off, and it was when his like daughters and granddaughters, his family, also had off, so they like all came to New York, and on downtime, he was able to spend a lot of time with them. So Michael Caine's like, I enjoyed this movie because it gave me more time to spend with my family. <laughs>
0: But that's the thing too. Like, I don't blame actors for taking certain roles Oh sure. um, as long as they're not like on a soapbox about it because like certain movies probably are just fun to make. Like you probably just have a good time. You make money off having fun. Like yeah. I, cannot fors- I cannot forsake anybody for that.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not against that at all uh, either. Um, I think my biggest complaint after seeing, of course, the original and then the remake that none of them die and they all get away with it in the end. I think that's – it. but clearly – Modern Hollywood, gotta have a happy ending,
0: of course. But, that's, but, like, this is the thing where I cannot forsake this new screenwriter, because at the end of this film, it very much, like, Joe's, like, last thing he says to the guy from The Thing is that, like, it's meant to be, like, a parable, but, like, like oh, like, your message about, like, social security and all this. So, like, I don't know if I can forsake the remake entirely, because it feels like what... Martin Brest was saying in the late 70s mm-hmm. was clearly a critique on the, oh god, the economic status of elderly peoples. And maybe that was, the, maybe again, like I said, I don't know. Like, someone would have to talk a bit to Martin Brest yes. now yeah. or well, whoever it was like in the last like five years about what he thought about what he was what his mindset was in that time period again i don't know I, again we might be the wrong ones here more than the people sure. who made the remake
1: sure i, I mean and th- i well, think that's what we're getting when it at-
0: comes to interpreting the film
1: exactly and i think that's what we we're getting at before we even talked about the remake is that you know i i don't see the original having anything to do with the money really but you see it more as having it. And and that's that's fair. I think that's where that original is is fruitful to discuss and watch. Whereas no one can watch the remake and have anything other to say than, you know, banks are bad. You know, that
0: type well, of yeah. thing. Well, yeah, and but but that's the thing though. Like once you reach a certain age, you've accepted the real the the reality of the world, and that idealism just kind of just dissipates.
1: That's an interesting point because as we talked about that with the original, where, as you've been saying, the when you reach a certain age, you get this acceptance of how things go. And even the remake is very much saying, no, like the old men are like, no, this is not the way things go. I think there's even a line in the movie where they're like, when did coffee get to 270 a cup? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just like beating you over the head with that in a way that's more offensive to me than the original with that thought in mind.
0: Well, I think yes, and I think uh, that's the thing that's so like weird about this film is that did, uh, like I don't know I don't want to reiterate what I've already said before, so I'm kind of having a hard time discussing this now. But it, it's just that I, uh, when you reach that certain age. Like, I, I, again, Rob knows from like my interactions, not just with my father, but what I did with like working at the food pantry for how many years. Sure. Like, is there a kid? There's more of a contempt for the modern age than there is to reclaim youth.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: That's what it comes down for. It's kind of like, like, if you want to remake this for modern terms, it would be like, oh. Like, if, if I was going to do a modern equivalent of this, and maybe this is almost to the point where it's not even a remake, it's just a brand new concept. Yeah. It would be more like the elderly being like, there's so much cultural rot in today's society. I'm going to, like, I, I, I don't know, like, I'm going to use the, the remake as an example. Let's say that Michael Caine's Joe is super wealthy, and he's going to be like, I'm tired of the cultural rot. I am going to buy a social network like a Facebook or a Twitter, and I am going to destroy. I'm gonna cause it to implode from the inside. Ah. And then, like if you remember your George Clooney Ocean's Eleven, where the very end, their way of celebrating is watching the fountains outside the uh, casino.
1: Yes, they all walk away. Right, that's the end of the movie.
0: My, my equivalent of that would be let's see, is like the like your modern equivalent of that would be watching the Facebook stock price just decrease into oblivion
1: (laughs) i like that That, i was also thinking it should end with like the it should be the fight club ending of the buildings exploding but instead somebody from high up watching servers explode
0: (laughs) yes that's what it should be like it should be like if you're gonna do a modern equivalent of the elderly taking down like like sticking it to the man of the modern age to young generations that it should be watching social networking explode Like that is what you're not explode implode. There's a difference between implosion and explosion. It had to be an implosion. And I think that would be a really fun take on all this because that's the difference between the older gen, the baby boomers versus generation Z right now is that cultural ride. And I think that is where your juxtaposition has to come from for the same reason why you have, the the socioeconomic or I'm sorry the economic aspect of it when it comes to somebody in the late 70s versus the modern generation which would be the up and coming of the baby boomers yeah you that would be your juxtaposition now and I think making this once again a and again obviously Hollywood has its own liberal agenda we're never gonna have to we're always gonna have to contend with that and considering that liberal Hollywood loves loves social media you're never gonna get that film. But I think if you are going to do that, it's kind of like what we talked about with Starship Troopers last month, is that, like, if you are going to get that film that has that level of, like, almost a parable to it, Mm -hmm. it has to be a deconstruction of the modern era. Yes. And that's what is missing from the remake. The remake is a product of that era, whereas going in style of 1979 is not. This was still at the very tail end of directors could still do what they want, even though it was the very, very, very very end of that because you're on the you're on the precipice of the 80s where you start getting your thing of like okay you have the lucases the spielbergs that basically married into the studio system because of the huge successes of their works but no i I think that's the only way you could get you could get a a what's the word an original as in a concept idea of a remake
1: i don't i i think that's a fun take for the young and the old, you know, you have the older people that want to see that cultural rot taken down. You have the younger people who you know want to see Facebook servers explode, implode, whatever.
0: I, but that's I the thing. That. I think. Yeah. I think. But but you would never get that made though because no oh, studio well, of course, would, p- yeah. would want to piss off the social. What was it? Was Zuckerberg? Mm-hmm. And good lord, what's his name? of uh, the Rasputin-looking guy that's in charge of Twitter right now. Um, <laughs> it, I think it is just, Rasputin. Like, I think it's Grigori if, Rasputin if, from Hellboy. If, <laughs> If anyone has seen a picture of Jack Dorsey in the last couple months, (laughs) he is rest. Rasputin. He is a hundred percent. Like I want everybody at home right now to Google image Jack Dorsey, juxtapose his image with Rasputin. They are the exact same person right now. Like corpse Rasputin.
1: Like after, after the shots, after the stabbing, after the drowning, (laughs) after the castration, after the crucifixion, like don't, don't look at the living Rasputin. (laughs) Look at, look at the one that couldn't die Rasputin. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Um, no, like that. (laughs) <laughs> All right. If you had a uh, Rasputin on your going in, going in style, right? a Cinemaddie's bingo card, please come forward and collect your prize. Um, but no, like that's the thing. Like I, that's the thing about Hollywood right now. You could very easily reimagine a lot of these older properties. Yep. They're just choosing not to because everybody has an agenda. And that's the problem. Like, like what's like, it's funny. As I was watching this movie, I kept the, the saying of every story has been done a thousand times. There's only about 10 stories in the history of mankind As everyone is just being respun, That's the problem. This is a very easy to digest premise. Mm-hmm. The issue is that you have to have an imagination first if you're going to retell this. And that's the problem with Hollywood right now. They yeah. don't have an imagination.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Which is no, very disappointing. I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking now with the, with the take you gave that I, I enjoy as well about the destruction of social rot, social media, all that stuff. Um, we're gonna have to. It's gonna have to be like a cinemodities movie that we do guerrilla style and edit in, in Korea to get away from people like. Uh... <laughs> Escape from tomorrow.
0: <laughs> but like that's the thing though, is that like you just wish somebody would just like and that's the thing. Everything everything I remember back in college ten years ago, I had a professor, and I think I've talked to him a couple of times. He's like like we live in a society now where it's like back in the early like two thousands, the question was, do you need a website? for a movie to properly market itself. And he's like, we're at a point now mm. in society where people are asking, do you need a Facebook page to properly market a movie like music, blah, 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 blah? And the answer is definitively yes. Now, ten years later. Sure. And and that's the issue, is that like you can't make that movie right now targeting Google, Facebook, Twitter, because they are the current robber barons of the times we live in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Even um I know Zach and I have talked about this movie probably to a great extent just off mic. The social network – the social network does not say Facebook is bad. It says Mark Zuckerberg might be a weird person. Like even that plays it a little safe.
0: But like you know what the weird thing is is that like – and it's fine, I'm glad you brought this up. That Like the social network could not be made right now. It would not. Like there's no way – forget about that film being made. Sure. That book wouldn't get published right yes. now. because that what that is it? The accidental
1: not... billionaires is the book, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's the thing. Like that movie. I'm sorry. That book in movie is such a product of its time. But Because think about it, Facebook <laughs> wasn't really didn't become mainstream until like what 2008. Sure, that movie sure. Was released two years end later, of, end of our high school years.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm la- I was laughing. Nothing you said. I'm laughing at the fact that if if a book like that got made today. It would be about Jeff Bezos, and the forward would be written by Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that's the thing. Like, there's a reason why you're not. I think about it. Like Amazon is a creator and distribute distributor of films. Like you are not going to get that sort of thing right now Mm -hmm. you're just not Mm -hmm. like think about it like the social network came out over a decade ago and think of all the stuff facebook has been involved with and not just facebook but zuckerberg and like that movie like i don't mean to say this like in a contrived way but like that is a, a a movie that's primed for a sequel primed for like a, 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 whether it be a movie TV series, but no one on earth would dare touch that. No, no, but it
1: would be wonderful to see if they covered like the, uh, Senate committee hearings and stuff like that, but that will not happen.
0: <laughs> that would not happen. That would never happen because you would not want to kind of prod the bear, so yep, to speak. Exactly. And 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 that's the thing, is that like there are so many great stories that are just waiting to be told based on the current era of just the robber barons of social media. Yep. Yet we're not gonna get those stories in any god immediate future because Everybody who has any money would never dare wake the sleeping giant. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's a bummer. Which is, I mean, I think from our perspective, is. It, but it is you're a bummer. Right. Yeah.
0: But yeah, um, like I, said, there, there's a, there's a, I guess we've talked about it numerous times. You could very easily do a retelling of starship troopers, but under the guise of like rules of engagement, when it comes to like dealing with enemy combatants, mm-hmm. you're not going to get that because the powers that be don't want to talk about things like that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. They want to say, okay, if I go into a comic book shop, the moment I see a title I haven't heard before, let's make it a TV show.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Like what DC character does not have a TV show on the CW? Let's do that. Bring Constantine back. <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> no, is I also 20, agree. No, what year thirteen episodes is, what is all I need. It? What year is it? Is it twenty fourteen again?
1: <laughs> oh God, yeah. Uh, I I hear you. It's it's a sad state of. Remakes, reimagining. Every
0: everything is horrible. Let's just put it that way again. Um, Different year, same mantra. Tune in in two years from
1: now. It'll be a Robin zach Cinemaddie's production, a remake of Hot Tomorrows uh, that will be announced. It'll start. A budget will be placed. The budget will get spent on a life-size Grim Reaper skeleton, and the movie will then get canceled. And Rob will keep it in his apartment. The, I think that's the plan. I thought
0: you, know, I thought you were going to say I you were like, oh, we're going to make a, a Hot Tomorrow's remake and it's, the budget's solely going to be to recover an original negative from the film.
3: <laughs> I would actually, that's okay, the, that, I would do that too, yeah.
0: <laughs> the budget is solely to find a negative from the film to release it. It's not even a remake. It's just an attempt to find a, a, a good copy of the negative.
1: I uh, I like both of those options. Either, either we get the original Hot Tomorrow's or we get a life-size grim reaper perfect <laughs>
0: i'm happy I'm, I'm content with that oh god
1: so so with uh with this more hollywood thing aside uh there were some other scenes and stuff i wanted to pick your brain on and uh thoughts i had about the original going in style was there anything else you want to say about the remake i really don't want to talk about the remake at all anymore
0: i i no i someone who never seen it uh has never seen it i don't feel uh comfortable commenting on it because sure. it's just it's not fair to critique something without watching it. Um this is also our trade you off. Said, you, you
1: you watched the remake of Adventures of Babysitting. I watched the remake of this, so we're even now on remakes.
0: You know the thing though is that like oh, God like uh, the adventures in Babysitting. Don't tell remake, me I have to it... watch that
1: again. no because you, don't you don't said that, that on the episode, I think no. that I not Should not we... that I had to, I but think, you said something I think like be... It would be fine if I watched it. You were very ambivalent, yeah.
3: I think.
0: The, the the thing about it is that it's the remake of Adventures in Babysitting is so I, I guess just innocent enough that like it doesn't do any harm. Is it like it's just there? They could they could have called that movie anything. They only chose that title because brand recognition, because that's just the unofficial mission statement of the Walt Disney Company of the last ten years, sure. unfortunately. Um, whereas I like the Adventures in Babysitting remake. I think is kind of innocuous. I think the going in style remake is almost, a. Th- I don't know if I can say it though. Cause I think it's probably the, I, I think if someone were to interview Martin Brest and he watched the remake, he'd be like, I don't like it, but at least it carries over the themes that I care about. Like that's the problem. So he might not like the execution of it, but the core of it, he probably appreciates. And I think that would be high. Again, that's my own conjecture, Sure, but I, but I would find that sort of philosophy very, very, uh unsettling this is
1: this is something i don't know which i just thought of which i'm shocked i just thought of it now but you might know so i'll pose the question to you zach to remake going in style martin breast being of course the credited director the credited screenwriter did they have to get his
0: permission or is it yes okay probably he i don't know that's the question i don't don't know you you have the knowledge on this Was he credited in it? He had to be credited in it based on original screenplay or original story. He probably got a story by credit Okay, it was his story.
1: I did not get the – I'm sure at the minimum because I did not really pay much attention to the credits of the remake. I would imagine what in most remakes there's the based on credit,
0: right? Or story by. Or story
1: by by or something like that. On Wikipedia at least it lists as based on going in style by Martin
0: Bress. Probably. If I had to guess, he okay. probably got a story by credit.
1: Okay, okay. So I
0: could be wrong, but I have not seen it. Yeah, based on, yeah, you're right. So, he, so, had, he had to have gotten some credit. So before.
1: his, I, I think my, the question I'm getting at, though, more uh, specifically is, would someone involved with the remake have had to contact him and ask his permission?
3: Uh, to refine this further,
0: it,
1: do uh, we have it, an in to find Martin Brest by going
0: through this remake. Uh no because Damn it. the movie the movie I don't know the movie was distributed by um by Warner Brothers. I don't know if they they produced it. Okay. Okay. Um it it would depend on who produced it. I would imagine that whoever owns the rights to the story, I don't know. Okay. I I know really... it, I know the remake
1: the remake had a new line logo in front of it. That's and Warner I, Brothers. That's, that's oh, their oh, subsidiary oh,
0: of Warner okay, Brothers. Yeah, that's right. Okay.
1: Uh, I don't remember any others though, but okay. okay. Yeah.
0: It's, 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 so if, if it's a Warner Brothers – yeah, if it's produced by New Line, that means it's a – that means Warner Brothers probably owns the original film. So they probably didn't need his permission. He probably would just cut a check.
1: Mm, yeah, the DVD I have is from the, the Warner Brothers archive collection.
0: Yeah, TV, so he was so, okay. so Martin Damn. Brest was most likely not consulted unless they wanted to. Um, at the very least, he was cut a check. Sure,
1: sure. I was thinking that we could, you know, like kidnap Zach Braff and say, give us Martin Brest's phone number, you know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. That'd be interesting to see if Martin if Zach Braff talked to Martin Brest. Yeah. I would imagine I don't know. Like, every time one of these remakes happens. It reminds me of the story that Rob Zombie tells that, like, when he contacted John Carpenter, like, when once he was, like, going to remake Halloween. Okay. And he's like, I called John Carpenter. And he's like, hey, I'm remaking your movie. And John Carpenter was like, okay. And, and, and Rob <laughs> Zombie's like, yeah. And John Carpenter's like, good luck. And that was the end of the phone call. Um, Are you going to that- bring
1: me cigarettes? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. But like, considering that, like, this was May in 2017, like 15 years after uh, uh, Martin Brest went to the Baywatch.
3: Yes. Um, yeah. I I, I
0: I, would imagine. I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Okay. It's, like Hollywood's okay. a very weird, super weird uh, social circle. I just don't know. It depends on just how ingratiated Zach Braff is, which I imagine he'd have to be. Um, I don't know I
1: don't have a lot of especially I not a lot of respect. I don't have a lot of high thoughts on Zach braff to be honest but well, I don't he, know too he's much well about
0: connected him. though like he's sure, somebody that's sure. been in the business forever um so I wouldn't be surprised it it, it it's it's up in the air I yeah. think that's probably the best way to describe it
1: yeah oh man okay okay that's a bummer I thought we had like a quick in right there we could have could have one day we're gonna find martin breast this would have been great if like the timeline of this podcast was switched around and I could tell a story that it was real that, like, the Skinwalker was Martin Breast because he was following me after we did all these discussions about him, but, oh, we could only hope.
3: <laughs> oh, so Go so back
1: to the original going in style, the yes. uh, the the good movie of the two. <laughs> There's a few scenes, a few things that I wanted to point out. Um, I think the, the, the main one is... The scene when Joe and Al are in Las Vegas and they are at the restaurant, I think after their first bout at the craps table, they decide to go to the restaurant. This will come up for our own restaurant, but I love that they are in the fanciest Vegas, a very fancy Vegas restaurant, and they get the most basic meal in existence. (laughs) That's very funny. But when Joe is going to pay for the meal... And we see Al, like, start to, you know, just mess around in the slot machine. And like I mentioned earlier, there's this woman there, played by Karen, Mon- Karen Montgomery, who hasn't done basically anything but this movie, from what I found. They start having a little, you know, kind of flirtatious moment. And, you know, there's like a little back and forth where Al's getting into it. And, you know, he's that elderly dude who's like, oh, you know, this 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 young hot thing is is talking to me. And I think Al, earlier in the movie was the one saying that he liked looking at women when they were walking through Manhattan so he has that little you know kind of horn dog aspect to him still but at the end of that scene Joe comes up from behind Al and kind of does the no like the like he does the nod he does like the the cancel out neck thing he's like get away and the woman just kind of looks sad and blows him blows Al a kiss and goes away and the scene kind of ends what is your take on this scene, Zach? Because I have to say the first few times I saw this, I didn't fully understand it. I want to know what you thought about it before I talk about it a little bit more.
0: I, if, if I had to interpret it, I don't think it's meant to be dissected in any sort of meaningful way. I think it's the idea that you don't want any like – they're they're meant to get in and out as quick as possible. They're criminals, so, right? Joe yeah, knows yeah. they're criminals, yeah. Sure, sure. They're meant to get in and out as fast as possible. And so any sort of attachment like that is just bringing undue attention. You don't want to get any unnecessary eyes on them as much as, – like as little as possible. That's how I interpreted it. I, I don't know if there's any deeper meaning to it, but I didn't interpret it beyond that kind of superficial level.
1: I had, I had two kind of main thoughts. One of them was exactly that. Joe knows they're criminals. He's the mastermind of this whole thing ordeal of not only the robbery but the going to vegas the whole craps table i love that whole dynamic where you know we get multiple times where al is like i don't know what was going on i'm just throwing the dice you know art carney's being art carney it seems and i i was like so that that could be it that joe is like we don't want this you know get away you know we don't want any interaction that type of thing because we're here to make money get back that that stuff when i was thinking about it more, I was like, maybe because, you know, Lee Strasberg, Willie is dead now. There is this really kind of intrinsic, implicit, not explained in the movie friendship between the three of them. A thing I love about this movie, we have no idea why these three old men are living together. We have no idea why they're so comfortable with each other. That's fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we we never get an explanation. And so maybe Joe doesn't want to share his friend. Maybe he wants to be there on Vegas with him. Those are my two big thoughts. But here is what I found, Zach. Karen okay. Montgomery, who is the woman that plays that character, that girl, she is credited as one word. Oh, hooker
3: <laughs>
1: Did you my question for you, Zach, is, did you think that she was a hooker at any point in that scene? Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying now. You know it now. Annoying. You think about it, but for me, I never put that together in the three times I was. Well,
0: watching it's this. Las Vegas. It is I Las Vegas, that, and I don't always, know what hookers looked like in always. the
1: '70s. But she's a good look. She's dressed pretty fancily for a hooker, I would say. Well. I don't know what hookers I, you've been around, Zach, I, I, but I, none I, of them look that good, okay? <laughs> none of them have that nice clothing on. Like, she looks like an upstanding businesswoman as far as I'm
3: concerned.
1: <laughs> I, I never in a million years until I I figured out who she was and, and checked the credits that she's a hooker. And apparently, from what I take from that crediting, is that Joe knew she was a hooker and was like, "Nope, we're not doing this. Maybe for the reasons we discussed about get in and out, that type of thing. What she is literally supposed to be a hooker.
0: <sighs> I, it's probably at the end of the day, you can boil that character down to unnecessary distractions. I think it's just as simple as that. Oh, absolutely. He's trying to bypass an unnecessary – but I think that's But she thing, could like, have been you... credited oh, just... as a
1: woman in, in Vegas or something like I, that.
0: Sure, whatever. I'm not – I would imagine nobody of significance probably named that character or, or, or listed her in the credits as such. I, and that's where I think this movie I, – I think the crux of this movie is that maybe, again, the, the arrogance of youth, which we've talked about before on Cinematis. yes. Like that's what life is about at the end of the day. Life is it comes down to our interactions with fellow human beings. It's not about money. It's not about extravagance. It's not about having a like it comes down to just having a good time with one another. And I think that is what I think the film kind of misses the forest through the trees through when it comes to it at the end of the day. Is that like Joe is so concerned about getting the mission accomplished when it comes to the money Mm -hmm. that he forgets about living. And I think that's what it is, is it like, oh, would would have Art Carney's character had more fun interacting with this woman, whether she be a prostitute or not? Who knows? It's the idea that like life is about living, not about acquiring wealth. And I think making this film about the accumulation of wealth is missing the point of reaching that sort of age point in one's life. Sure, sure no that, that money comes and goes living is something else entirely yeah
1: that's that, that's a good point i think that gets it a little what i was saying with that coming of age type of thing for sure but mm-hmm. but no i mean that's i agree with you there i i think i'm at this point in the conversation with that note in particular i'm shocked by the fact that that was a prostitute <laughs>
0: I, I, again, it's Las Vegas, it's a casino, it's the late 70s, anything, I I, I I don't, I didn't think of it that way, but I'm also not against it either.
1: No, okay, That that's really what I wanted to know, if you thought about it, because I did not think about it. This is one of the things that I think, you'd be like, you show it to a hundred people, what percentage of them think she's a prostitute, you know? Because uh, she just looks like, I mean, it would make maybe a little more sense if we saw her, like, at the craps table when they were winning a bunch of money so she knew that they were kind of rich, Art Carney's just putting fucking quarters in a slot machine. <laughs> like, that's not an indication he has money. He ordered a fucking cream cheese and raspberry jam sandwich. Like,
0: he's not a high roller. But I think that... No, but I think I think he is a high roller. I think that's the thing, though, is that, like, they've drawn so much attention. And I think even... Joe George Burns alludes to this later on in the film that they drew so much attention to themselves. Like think about it, like even in the late seventies, the casinos always knew who was sitting there oh, making yeah, a lot yeah. of money. Like no, there, you're, you're no right, George. To the
1: casino George Burns has that line where he's like, "We can't win too much. They're like security and the FBI is going to be on us." That type of thing it says something along those yeah. lines. Yeah,
0: but I, I I'm think, just saying. I if, think that's that's what happens. Like in any sort of casino, especially people who are quote unquote residents, word gets around quick.
1: Yeah. I'm just saying if she's supposed to be a hooker, I want to see her the scene earlier at the crafts table. I want to see her in hot pants and a bra like showgirl style. Hell, if this is what hookers in Vegas looked like in the 70s, I was born way too late because she looks great.
3: Like I said, she looks like a
1: businesswoman. Like she looks like an upstanding citizen that you wouldn't know you had to give her a few hundred bucks till you got up to the room.
0: I, I I don't even know where to begin with this, so I'm just going to abstain from commenting.
1: She's great. I I mean, we don't really get a lot really? of her in this movie, Karen Montgomery, but that scene... Like, the f- times I watched it before, I realized she was credited as Hooker. I'm just like, yeah, she's good-looking woman. Like, go for it, Art Carney. Like, why is Joe stopping you? I was just so confused. I, I did not understand that scene at all. But, but I took it like you did, that Al, uh, Joe knows they're criminals. They got to get in and out. They're there just for however long because... Joe knows that Al has the nephew from the thing back in uh, New York, so they got to get back there and stuff like that. But she's credited as hooker, and it is the strangest goddamn thing that I found about this movie.
0: (laughs) I like to believe when it comes to Rob in this movie, when it comes to Art Carney and the quote-unquote hooker, it's very similar to Bill Hader's character – and super bad where he's like he's talking to seth rogan and he's like he's like seth rogan like we're here to we're not here to cock block mclovin we're here to guide his cock <laughs> yes yes
1: <laughs> oh god oh god so i i think uh we we've talked a lot about the actual meaning of this movie and i'm glad we were able to disagree with it there's there's a scene in this movie that i want to know if it made you think of any other uh scene in another another comedy when you bring up you know Super bad when we talked about what uh, knocked up I think before recording. Yes. Um, another another type of those movies we get a we get a really great scene which I think adds to what we were saying earlier about the the fantasy of the elderly or at least my stance of these elderly men kind of you know being excited about going on this adventure of the bank robbery when they're planning the bank robbery and I think they're you know trying to figure everything out. We get the scene where they come across the um the steel drum street performers and art carney starts to like do a little dance and everybody loves it you know and he interacts with the the guy who's playing the bongos zach do you remember the scene from get him to the greek where jonah hill talks to the black guy who says i'm just here to do the african face and jonah hill is like what's the african face and he does the big smile while playing the bongos Oh,
0: God, Rob. You're does asking this... me to remember a movie from, like, almost
3: 11 this years is so... ago. And, and my not
0: only, only am memory I... of it is, is Sean P. Diddy plus Daddy Combs being like, You, you know, know how many kids I got? Kids? You know how many Jordans that is? <laughs> you know how many Jordans I got to put on it? <laughs> <laughs> That's literally my... Like, get to the Greek does not exist. That move, that, Rob... That movie does not exist. You type that into IMDb and it does not give you anything. It's like, my big fat Greek wedding, it doesn't know what it is that you're talking
1: about. <laughs> okay, I'm typing it in now. Get him to the Greek. I hit enter. That's, that's the internet <laughs> freezing on me. Windows just went blue screen. No, there, there's that scene. I'm going to have to find the fucking clip. It's uh, Yes, I'm asking you to I remember not, a movie. I
0: that, do not remember that
1: at all. So I'm asking you to remember a song.
0: movie that does doesn't exist, and then a scene yes. that
1: is so minute from that movie.
0: <laughs> but there's a Congratua- bit where congratulations, Rock, where like Jonah
1: Hill, because because what uh, Russell Brand is performing at like the day, the Today Show or something like out on what what it's it one of those oh fuck I forget where they perform that Avenue of Broadway, but. There Jonah Hill is like there's just like cause Remember Russell Brand has that song that's like Poor African Child or something like that
0: Oh yeah yeah yeah
1: And so he's performing that like on the Today Show And Jonah Hill like talks to one of the performers And it's just like this black guy And he has a bongo and Jonah Hill's just Talking to him and for some reason the guy says I'm just here to do the African face And Jonah Hill's like what And the dude puts on a huge cheesy grin And plays the bongos And he's like you know African face Hey
2: there, do you know the lyrics to
1: African Child? I don't know the lyrics. I just pound the drum and do the African face. This was a different time, folks. (laughs) Getting to the Greek was a different time,
0: folks.
1: (laughs) It was. It was very
0: much a different time.
1: But when we have Art Carney dealing with this dude playing the bongos, this black guy in, like, I would assume Manhattan, he just has that cheesy grin, and for some reason the memory of that scene came flooding back to me.
0: that that is nothing short of fascinating yes
1: rob. yes so uh that's i will have to find that oh god get of the greek finding that <laughs> clip luck, from rob. get Him of the luck, greek luck, is one it's of those gonna... things where it's like i might need to watch the entire movie that's, to find that's it. what i
0: mean that's what i mean good luck rob good luck because you're gonna have to rewatch that entire film which does not exist
1: it, do- it doesn't exist, but I mean, I remember yeah the Diddy. You know how many Jordans I got to buy? I remember the African face now. I remember Stroke the Furry Walls.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, you know what the best part about Get Him to the Greek is? I still have on my phone to this day. I, and I hope, I, I, I pray that Rob will insert the clips here. <laughs> but on my phone, I still have. I purchased these songs off iTunes in 2010. Rose Byrne sings two songs called Oh god, it's like like super like super tight and something else and it's all like these super super like like it was supposed to be a parody of Carrie uh Katy Perry music, oh. not being like over the top like sexual pop music. Yeah. Like like one of them, oh my god, I'm going to go up right now. But like it's um just, it's a parody. Okay, here it is. Um, I want Rob to insert both of these songs, or at least clips of them. The first one is called Super Tight. Ride
3: me inside, me it's super tight. Boom, boom, shake the room like it's dynamite. Don't need no flaccid string, and I will keep mine super tight.
0: Got to me, warm and you're tight, I'm gonna fuck you so deep, I'll give you
2: a Me, I'm a zombie. Uh, you dug me from my grave, you took me arse from Africa and made me a slave. You're too
0: tight, uh, like a wet vice. Your pussy is a crucifix, my cock is like Christ. Jackie Q, uh, she's gifted with my implement, she plays my golden balls where she's strumming this instrument, check it. And the other one is called ring round. I want both of them in, inserted here. Okay. okay. Please, yeah. please. <laughs> I still like that is my only memory of those movies is those two songs. See, that that, is this it.
1: is why we need to keep a bank of episodes recorded because <laughs> I have to look up the most obscure clips in the universe yes, that we're both yes.
0: suggesting. <laughs> Rob's going to have to watch – at least my clips can be Googled and Rob can just insert the audio. <laughs> Rob has to actually watch the movie to insert his clips, which is 100% on him. I know. I didn't even look it up because like, I watched
1: these movies like two days ago. I didn't even look up like if I got the quote right. It might be like horribly wrong. It's not even called African face.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Rob has to watch an entire like 90-minute movie now is to it,
1: validate his point. In Get Him to the Greek, isn't Jonah Hill's wife the – um? Invisible I mean, man, yeah, woman. Wife, he had a yeah. yeah remember, Alba? remember, remember Elizabeth Moss. That's who it is. Oh, I don't she,
0: know who she's that like
1: is. she's she's like a nurse, and she's tired all the time. And there's the scene at the beginning where Jonah Hill's like, "Let's go to a concert. Let's go see the Mars Volta." And she's like, "I'm so tired. Who's the Mars Volta?" And he plays a clip of the Mars Volta, which is like chaotic, evil music. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I. Hey. Hi.
3: Hey. Oh. You look pretty.
1: Thank you. Oh, it's such a crazy day. I can't wait to watch like 100 hours of Gossip
3: Girl. Me too. Yay. Or
1: instead of that, we could go see the Pixies in the Mars Volta play a show. I don't think I can do it tonight. I have to be back at the hospital at like 6 AM. Who's Mars Volta again? Oh.
3: Tired over.
0: I have no memory whatsoever Oh my whatsoever god! Now,
1: now I'm tempted to actually watch this movie.
0: <laughs> Which might Sorry. be the first time someone's ever.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Nick, who emailed us for Beast of War. I might put that back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Forget him to the Greek. <laughs> That'll be okay, folks. Subscribe to the uh, Cinemati's Patreon if you want to hear Jack <laughs> and Rob talk about Game to the Greek.
1: Oh, that would be a good one. There's no reason we would ever talk about that on the main feed, right?
0: We could. If, remember last year? If it wasn't for me and my uh, weird, uh, uh, emotional, right, I, we probably would have done that in the summer 2010 series.
1: Oh, that's that's right. 2010. That's 20- Well, that okay. That won't come up till 2030. <laughs> yes, we have
0: another <laughs> decade to worry about this. Oh my
1: god. Well, I don't know why so much of that movie is coming back to me now. It's insane. <laughs> But yes,
0: non flashback.
1: I I think it's a uh, a very interesting thing that going in style from 1979 made me think of a scene from Get Him to the Creek.
0: <laughs> it's a first time for everything.
1: What you know when we just we just did that little bit on Get Him to the Creek. I think throughout this whole conversation, there's been a lot of references to other movies. Have we dug ourselves too much of a hole? That Zach, you and I have discussed so many movies, we can reference them so freely that I feel like if somebody jumps into it and is like, hey, what's their most recent episode on Is I'll listen to it. And it's like we're speaking a different language.
0: <laughs> I think at this point, the answer is yes.
1: I, the answer is yes. I like that. On that same topic, I have to say that during Willie's funeral, when Joe, like, goes into the room with the casket and is just walking towards it, one of my notes is, the music is great. It reminds me of music from Triplets of Belleville. <laughs>
0: Well, that's a callback.
1: Let's keep. Let's just come on. What other? I think we did Fight Club. We did Get Into the Greek. Let's just keep going. Christ, we talked about Christopher Lloyd. Let's just let's just name <laughs> movies for
0: ten minutes, Zach. <laughs> well, let's name movies that were vague like, that we're aware of, but the audience is just barely has a vague grasp of. Yes,
1: yes. So I think the the last thing I wanted to mention it's not really directly related to the original uh, Going in Style, um, but it was one of those things which I. As Zach knows, I like to do, check out the IMDb trivia and um, revel in how stupid it is and unfounded it is. But every once in a while, I find something on there that piques my interest and I have to see if I can actually back it up. And one of the things I found on uh, on IMDb trivia is that the actor Tito Goya, who plays their getaway driver, the, the cab driver that they use to drive to and back from the bank... The IMDb trivia basically says something like, in 1984, him and his brother were arrested for murder. And I was like, dad I a- saw that.
0: Yes! Yeah. I- <laughs> okay! <laughs> I found that highly entertaining. This it turns out... Trivia people.
1: This turns out to be true. And in the research that I did, Tito Goya, which is not his real name, I did not write his real name down, but he's credited as Tito Goya in this movie. So anybody who wants to find him can find him through that. He's reported to be a lifelong criminal before, during, and after the filming of this movie. And of course, the the murder is the one that's most interesting. And in 1984, him and his brother were arrested on charges of murder in Austin, Texas, from back in 1978. So presumably just before this movie started to be filmed. He died. Tito Goya died before the trial happened. Turns out his brother was convicted in 1997. So this is almost a 20-year a case. How I f- about that? I find that fascinating. I also don't find it too ridiculous because my own legal troubles take way too goddamn long to get sorted out. So it's not that strange that it took this 20 fucking years. But I had yay? to bring that up because— No, not yay, Zach. That is a bad thing. <laughs> I, I found this wildly interesting that uh, we have somebody in this movie who is apparently a lifelong criminal uh, in this little caper film you know I thought I thought that was neat at least to bring up
0: sure, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> sure. I, I don't know whether to uh agree or disagree but sure
1: tune in next week when Zach and Rob record and podcast
0: from prison <laughs> yes that's our let's go to prison episode hey.
1: I still want to discuss that movie
0: one day. I know you do, Rob. I know you do. It's a
1: great movie. You know who directed that movie? Zach Braff. Bob Odenkirk. Oh
0: my God, Rob! Where are we getting the thighs of Sky Skipper? Different Odenkirk, but still.
3: Well, uh, you no, get that's, my
1: drift. Oh, that's that's Steve Odenkirk.
0: I know it's Bob but Odenkirk. I want my thighs, Sky Skipper.
1: Okay, now that you say this, okay, real time. I'm going to Thumb.com. I know it's not updated because I'm on their mailing list and I have no updates. It's the same – oh, look at that. Hold on. Let me do a quick – let me do a quick uh, inspect element. Last time it was updated, December 2019. Great. (laughs) 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 No updates, folks. No updates. God damn it. God damn it. I know. I know. This is – this is, this is worse than the going-in-style remake that we don't have a new <laughs> thumb movie.
0: So disappointing on every level imaginable. On
1: a, on a quick tangent, can I ask you if you have heard yes, anything Rob. about the upcoming movie Nobody?
0: No, I don't even know what that is.
1: Okay. I I've only I haven't looked into it. I've seen one commercial for it. I'm pretty sure it was like a YouTube commercial, and it was one of the things that I could skip. But okay. I was so intrigued by it that I had to check it out. The release uh-huh. date is reportedly, uh, uh, reportedly, April second, twenty twenty one. Okay. The trailer that I saw, maybe two fifteen, two and a half minutes, is the same concept as John Wick. Basically, oh, guy oh, is out is of the with, game.
0: Is this with okay? Who who stars in this?
1: Bob Odenkirk.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, you're right. You're right. Bob yes, Odenkirk
1: plays John Wick, and I I could not skip this ad. Because I was like, no. I was watching this trailer going, when's the other shoe going to drop? Because Bob Odenkirk <laughs> yeah, to me will right. always be Bob from Mr. Show with Bob and David. Yes, yes, He is sketch we,
0: comedy extraordinaire. We,
1: we I don't want Rob, to see him know. murder anybody. It's stupid.
0: <laughs> we know, Rob. We know.
1: So I, I was actually talking to my parents about this because I, I brought it up to my mom. And my mom was like, yeah, we heard about this and it looks so crazy. I was like I have to watch this movie just to see it because I do why? not believe Bob – because Bob Odenkirk cannot be an action star.
0: He can't be an action star. That's why you shouldn't watch it. I
1: reject that I, – no, I reject God. that – I agree with you. I reject their hypothesis that Bob Odenkirk should be an action star. But once again, this is like, this is like Impractical Jokers. It's going to be a train wreck I can't look away from.
0: Then you shouldn't look at it, Rob. It's that simple. You
1: know me. I'm a rubbernecker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, breaking news. Breaking news. Because this is the first time I've looked at this, anything about this movie.
0: Is is, is the Thighs of Skyskipper finally coming out?
1: No. Christopher (laughs) Lloyd is in nobody. I have to see. Okay, we have to cancel. Cancel the rest of the year. Cancel the rest of the year, Zach. Every week we're talking about this movie.
0: Rob, We're stop, doing it no. minute by no. minute. Bad touch. Bad touch. The RISA's no. in it. No, who's in it? The rizza. Oh God. No, God. We're going it's 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 poor man's Dad astral all over again. Connie Nielsen's in it. Nope. You just you're digging your hole deeper. Someone named Gage Monroe is in it. I don't even know what that means, but no.
1: <laughs> I will report back. I, I have to see this movie. I oh, have to see this movie, Zach.
0: No. No, uh-uh. One <laughs> night,
1: I'm going to go to LiveLeak to get my fix of people getting limbs chopped off in horrific accidents <laughs> in Russia and, and Middle Eastern countries. It's going to be down, and I'm going to watch this instead.
3: No. I'm, God,
0: gonna, Rob, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Don't be a rock.
1: Email cinemodities at gmail.com to tell Zach we have to do an episode about this. Ben's probably gonna see this in theaters before either of us talk to him about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I saw the preview for that in front of a promising young woman. No. Bad touch. Bad touch, right? It is directed Uh
1: by someone named Ilya Viktorovich Nashuler.
0: Exactly. I feel bad for that person.
1: I'm, right. I'm. so watching this movie.
0: I know you are. I am and that's very so, disappointing.
1: I, I cannot wait till April. Now I'm so into this movie. Okay, oh gosh, that was God. that was my tent. I had this to ask why, on this, the Bobo. This is why and we
0: Kirk. can't have nice things, Rob. This is why we can't have this nice things. This is why
1: we have this podcast, Zach. Okay, don't don't even start with me.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, so, uh, uh, Hooker,
0: African face murder yes, to get suspense. back to get back on topic weirdly enough <laughs> those
1: are my those are my big three things that i had left for going in style zach were there anything else from the the good the original going in style that you want to talk about
0: uh not really no i think we touched upon all the yeah. themes
1: that i was interested in right on right on okay well then uh i think uh we we did that we did the remake we did the bonus feature i think that just leaves us with our questions and i guess i'll start since this is uh the the rob series Uh, For Cinemodities, I am going yes. I think this is such a dry, melancholic movie that has, even though I might be thinking a little different, I'm just reading from what I thought when I watched this, some respect for the elderly. And I don't think I've seen a lot of movies like this. I'm going to go with yes for Cinemodities. For Late Night, oh my god, no. This is like the cure for insomnia if you put this on Late Night. I actually wrote in my notes with everybody I know, I feel like this movie would start five frames, not seconds, frames would play, and their phone would literally be duct taped to their eyes, like a VR helmet. Like, I don't think anybody would watch this late night. So I'm going yes for Cinemodities, no for late night. What do you think, Zach?
0: Uh, I would, uh, okay, Cinemodies no. I think it's a hard no because it's such a I easily figured. digestible premise. I figured... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's too, it's too easily digestible of a premise. Um, as to late-night movie, I'm also going to say no, but with the caveat of through most late-night stuff that Rob makes me watch, I usually fall asleep. And this kept my attention. I think this ah. is a – I think I, – I, again, I'm still going to say no, but I do think this does have potential – um because it is if somebody isn't aware of the remake or the premise as a whole you could get an audience um you could you could get people you could i'm not saying t- again okay, it's still okay. a no but i think there is the potential that you could get somebody because it is that interesting of a premise
1: i thought you were going to say the caveat is no for late night unless it's zach Rob, and Bumpa,
0: <laughs> which
1: i'd be all about <laughs>
0: That goes without saying, Rob. If you can get Boompaw for any movie, I'm on board. Like, if you can get Boompaw for any sort of movie-going experience, I will be there.
1: <laughs> right on, right on. Okay, yeah, I figured that uh, Cinemize Late Night would be pretty pretty easy, pretty quick. So that brings us to snacks. And I got I got some snacks. I think I'll start with the, um, the, the food items that we actually see in here that I really like. I mentioned one earlier. Cream cheese and jelly sandwich on rye bread which I have to say sounds disgusting. What are your thoughts on cream cheese and jelly on rye?
0: Uh, could be interesting. Uh, it's not something I it wouldn't be my first choice, but if I had no other options, <laughs> um, I would be intrigued by it as a concept. Let's just put it that way.
1: I, I, I have to agree with you. Maybe not on the, um, if I had no other options. If, if it was offered to me, I would definitely try it, but I'm not a big fan of cream cheese, first of all, which I know I've said before on this podcast. Jelly and cream cheese, maybe that's like a. I get where they're coming. from. It's not the from.
0: worst thing. It's not no, the worst no. Thing
1: it, the it's world. also a common thing. That's like a, a good old, you know. As as someone who is a, not a fake New Yorker like Zach is, who moved to New York later on, I, I know. I'm
0: not a New Yorker. I don't pretend to be a New Yorker. You're man. a fake no New Yorker, that, Zach. Title.
1: <laughs> that I actually like that. That's funny, Zach's like, no, no, I have no stake in New
0: York. <laughs> I've been called a fake Yankee before, and by all means, I am a fake Yankee. I'll take that title.
1: <laughs> well, well, I guess I should say as someone who grew up in the Bronx, uh, I understand cream cheese and jelly is a, is a famous combination, but I was noted on bagels. You can't put it on rye. Rye is a very strong bread. That's a strong flavor. Indeed. I don't want cream cheese and jelly on rye. Maybe on a bagel I would like that, even though when I get my bagel, I'm a locks and capers type of guy. But oh, don't god. I, oh you know I love me my seafood, Zach.
0: But locks, I have no problem with capers, yes. Capers oh, are oh capers god Ugh. so
1: good. Capers are so good. I could eat like straight <laughs> capers, like spoonful of capers. I love them so much. I think Zach is literally gagging.
0: (laughs) I am. Cavers are disgusting. So, so,
1: But of course, uh, that was a little tangent that I think that sounds gross, but we should offer, of course, the, uh, I I would like to call it the fancy Vegas meal, and it's cream cheese and jelly on rye.
0: (laughs) That's fair. I'll take that. The
1: other, I think, food that we got from this, or main kind of focus of food, was when they're at the hot dog stand, good old New York City hot dog stand, and uh, Joe orders one with everything on it. Hot dogs? Yeah, hot dogs. Remember they go to the hot dog stand? They're like, yeah. live a little. Let's, and, but the thing, the thing that I'm getting at is that it's a hot dog with everything on it. Maybe back in the 70s, if you said everything on it, that would mean something. Zach, how would you respond if someone came into our restaurant and ordered a hot dog with everything on it? The correct response is, sir, or madam, we cannot put the word processor of the gods on your hot dog. Everything has a different meaning now. You can't order a hot dog with everything anymore. Everything is more gratuitous than it has ever been. That's what I'm getting
0: at. Oh, God. that that is Man, that is deep, delving into the deep end. Oh.
1: <laughs> so my pitch is that we have a hot dog with everything on it, but we need to define everything
0: uh sure everything but ketchup because anyone who puts ketchup on a hot dog is a sociopath
1: so you're you're going the opposite you're saying we'll put like the evil camera from goosebumps and the word process of the gods on it but you better you better like check yourself before you wreck yourself if you're getting ketchup
0: yes (laughs) because if you put ketchup on a hot dog you're a sociopath like that is that's just the rules of the universe i don't make the rules i just enforce them do you
1: know how i eat my hot
0: dogs zach God, i'm afraid to ask
1: ketchup and onions that's it really that's how i eat my hot dogs ketchup and onions yeah that's,
0: that's, that, that's bonkers it's
1: delicious that's if it's, well this is when it's not a chili dog chili dogs are different when i have like, a hot dog in a bun ketchup and onions that's it oh my
0: god that, that that's, that's just. i don't even know where to begin with that can i
1: actually can i actually be more specific
0: no raw <laughs> onions what?
1: I do not saute or cook the onions. It's ketchup and raw onions. That's legitimately yes, that's how, how I eat my hot
0: that's dogs. A, that's a, that's how it's supposed to be. Okay, good.
1: I thought you were saying otherwise. Are
0: we in agreement? No, I, I don't have a problem with the ketchup. I'm sorry, with the onions. It's the ketchup I have a problem with.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were doubling down the onions. That it's. I know you're against the ketchup. I thought you were doubling down the onions. I don't like saute them or
0: no, caramelize them or anything like that. Like I don't like raw onions, but I have no problem with them on a hot dog. Ketchup and onions. No, get Ooh. at it, Zach. No, this is what we're you're doing de- for dinner
1: tonight, Zach.
3: No, I know no. you probably say-
1: you probably haven't eaten dinner yet because we've been recording for so goddamn long. But let's do it, Zach. You and me, Rob. We're stay after we're done recording. We're stay on the Skype call. We're gonna watch each other eat ketchup and onions on a hot dog. Uh, Somebody, and Nic- Nicole out there, is just getting excited at the fact that we're gonna look at each other while eating dinner. I bet. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> She's going to email us and go, in addition to you doing an episode for my birthday, can you send me the video of you two ASMR eating hot dogs? Uh, gross. So those those are my two main food items. I have some other stuff that's more like, um, you know, events or maybe some other things. Did you have any food or what did you think for snacks for this episode, Zach? I want adult axe to the head. That's not from this movie. That's just how you felt about this conversation, I'm guessing?
0: No, that's in the very beginning of the film. A dull axe to the head? You remember that from the very, very beginning of the film where someone's like says something, and you're like, oh a dull axe like like a dull axe to the head? Oh and... as
1: a as like a response, one of them says like I'd rather have yes. a dull axe to Oh okay, okay. I
2: am sick of this shit. Yeah, but a beat's getting hit in the head with a dull axe. Yeah. I wonder about that.
1: For some reason I thought there was some cold open I missed where there's an actual violent crime.
0: Well, maybe, (laughs) maybe the Zach Braff version.
1: (laughs) No. Okay. Okay. You know, okay. I I like that. I like that. That's. Fine, I guess. I mean, that sounds like something we already have. But sure, <laughs> Rob's like I'm. G- Rob's like
0: I'm game. Rob's like, no, we have no. Remember, we have an axe wound from the Doctor Sleep episode.
1: Oh, yes, that nicks your femoral artery, so you bleed yes. out and fall down the
0: stairs or something like that. That's yes. Right. How about how about we make axe wounds a companion piece to any sort of remake or like reimagining of an original story? Because I, like I
1: like that. Any any okay, remake gone, or oh.
0: reimagining or reboot. We
1: pair with an axe wound.
0: Exactly. Okay. It's perfect.
1: And 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 the severity of how egregiously offensive or bad the remake slash reboot slash reimagining it is corresponds to how much damage the axe wound does. Bingo. Oh, I like that. And that damages some people. That's perfect. Speaking of damaging people, I think that we have a we should have a bank robbery simulation slash ride with real life consequences. Like like hear me out. We have maybe like a, in our infinite voider restaurant, we we create like a a bank facade, you know, like the interior of a bank, and we offer our customers the chance for a small fee, air quotes on small once again, as always, <laughs> that they get the chance to go in and have some planning time, but they have the chance to go in and try and rob this bank. If they succeed, I don't know, we we take their picture and I don't know, put it in a landfill somewhere. <laughs> the money they get is fake the, they're, they're trying to rob fake money Like we'd have monopoly okay. money or something in this bank But the consequences are real Like if they take their eyes off that guard They're getting their brains fucking blown out Like we give the guards real guns We have real cops come to the scene You know So it's it's real life consequences In a bank robbery simulation
0: Alright what's the reward though if, they're, if they succeed
1: Literally like I said we take their picture It goes in a landfill they get bragging rights I guess
0: that's it there is no there is no
1: incentive for the customer other than they can say that they did it and oh i just thought of this we double down and if a customer actually does it let's say they come in they're at a they're at the table you know they get their food they say hey they say to the waiter hey i want to work i want to do the bank the going in style bank robbery simulation whatever they go through with it they succeed they come back it's going to be like a Galaxy's Edge thing, you know? Haven't haven't we talked about how Galaxy's Edge, they, like, know what you did on the rides or that was their premise, but our waiters reject them. Like, they come back and it's like, hey, we robbed your bank, and the waiters go, no, you didn't. I don't believe you. <laughs> I literally don't believe you. Like, I can see the taser marks on your arm. You liar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like anybody, like, telling somebody something else and being, like, liar. It's just walking away. <laughs> oh that'd utter be great dis- utter dismissal that's the key the key term right utter dismissal
1: <laughs> yes yes utter dismissal and i would even love if they can f- if these people can find the exit to the restaurant you know they like leave and they go through the gift shop and maybe it's like hey i went through your bank robbery simulation and i succeeded like i got these fake you know i even have the fake dollars to show it like is was there a picture taking me or anything it's like no you didn't do it we would have <laughs> taken a picture of you if you succeeded <laughs> Well, you line us, you know.
3: <laughs> There's a 10%
1: markup on everything in the gift shop now, you loser.
0: <laughs> and what we do is we hire the kids that go around calling people f***s to mock them. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> so that, that was my idea. I, I wanted a bank robbery like simulation with, like with, with no reward but real-life consequences.
0: <laughs> I like it's super high risk with the zero reward. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's literally just like coming into the restaurant.
0: Mm. okay it's 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 you get your picture taken it goes on the wall of shame it's like right right next to where we put people who like like use bad checks it's right (laughs) next to that
1: i like that but i think we should change the wall of shame and i think this has come before we put people's pictures on walls before i want to double down from what i said earlier it's the landfill of shame.
3: We just have a pile
1: a whole like a ditch somewhere in the restaurant where there's just a pile of photographs of customers that have done
0: things. <laughs> I like that, the landfill of shame. That's fair. We can also um, dump the bodies there when they fail. Oh yeah, perfect. Perfect. It'll it'll be like the
1: the precursor to the bone pit where things have to decay before we yes, can put them in the yes, bone pit. Absolutely. Perfect. Um, so, uh, uh, another snack that I had, which is, we, actually, I should have put this with the food, I missed it, but, um, we get that scene in Going in Style where Al, Art Carney, is talking about vitamins, and then Joe buys some vitamins for him. Should we have some vitamins as, like, a side or a dessert? No specific vitamins, just vitamins. I think
0: but... we should just have, like, a bottle of vitamins if you just, like, chew and eat. I like that. <laughs> I like the idea of just having. Like, like chewing vitamins. Is, like, like, you can't, like, overdose on vitamins. It's just, like, kind of like a waste of money at the end of the day. So I like the idea of just having vitamins that you have to eat.
1: I feel that you saying that you can't overdose on vitamins, a customer is going to come to the restaurant and take that as a challenge. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like, okay, I remember from an episode of Bar Rescue that it was like they had like this like grilled cheese sandwich. Like the further you got into the sandwich, the cheese got like spicier and spicier. Okay. I like the idea of having vitamins, and the more you eat, the more vitamins you eat, the more likely you are to overdose. So like you go from like having like one percent vitamin C to the point where you have like a thousand point vitamin like a thousand percent vitamin C where you can overdose on vitamins. <laughs> I like that like that's having like like the sliding scale of OD on vitamins I want that where do I sign up for that Rob where do I swipe my credit card to do that I, I
1: the Cinematics restaurant everybody <laughs> that's an interesting idea that's a, have you ever heard of what oh god I'm not gonna remember it correctly it's been a while but what is it called it's called like a um, I'm gonna sound like an idiot because I'm gonna say this wrong it's the it's the unit of measurement for the force of mortality I think it's called a micro death
0: what the hell are you talking it's, about? It's
1: literally the scientific measurement for if you do something, it increases your probability of death by a fixed amount. And it's something like spending a weekend in New York City versus chain-smoking six cigarettes versus eating some amount of fish and they're all equivalent in terms of micro deaths
0: so like it's the equivalent of like like having one glass of wine versus one can of beer versus like one shot of like pure alcohol so something like that yeah there, there's okay. been a the scientific about, measurement but I, 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 I think I it's the called concept, micro but death. i don't know specifically what you're talking about. i want
1: to know how many vitamins we would need to consume to be like the equivalent of a pack of cigarettes this is going to be the I craziest like like correction like I'm going to have to put in. <laughs> I have no
0: idea where to take it.
1: That Maybe that's the thing. We don't list calories and other nutrition facts on our menu. We list how My, much it death? increases your probability of instantaneous death.
0: All right. I like it. I'm on board.
1: This – okay. This is a major <laughs> overhaul to the restaurant, but it might be the most on-brand overhaul to the restaurant. Yeah,
0: I, I think it is.
1: I don't disagree. Hey kids, Rob was actually thinking of what's known as a micromort, which is a one in a million chance of death. So a micromort is fixed, so every item on our menu would have an associated amount of micromorts, which would indicate how much it increases somebody's chance of death after they order slash consume that meal. As an example, apparently scuba diving is five micromorts per dive. Skydiving is 8 micromorts per jump. Apparently giving birth with a cesarean section is 170 micromorts. It's fascinating and perfect for the restaurant. Speaking of things that we need to overhaul in the restaurant, this is not something I'm, I'm set on, but I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Should we have gambling in the restaurant? That mm. was my last idea Jam for snacks. In the
0: the restaurant. restaurant.
1: Should the, we have some slot has machines?
0: That point. It has
1: to. I did not look into it on the spreadsheet, but when we had our Vegas moments in this movie, I was thinking, "Should we have some slot machines?" Probably. Maybe I where would it come up? Maybe we have a blackjack table? I feel like card game should have come up somewhere right I, I it has
0: to have come up at some point like it just has to
1: well i can say that when i just pulled up the spreadsheet and i did a control f for gamabling because i spelled gambling wrong nothing was found shocking so uh at least uh, <laughs> at least that hasn't happened in the restaurant gambling doesn't come up either Hmm, I would I mean we could sit here and I could do synonyms for, you know, cards and blackjack and stuff like that. I searched cards and it came up for our scratch and sniff cards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what movie was that for?
1: Uh, Adventures in Babysitting. What
0: the what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> that was a year ago. I completely forget about that.
1: Episode 101, 2 After Zealie. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that is uh that is odd. Blackjack is
1: one word is not in there. Uh,
3: mm.
1: b- blackjack is oh I just did black kajak. Now my on on demand me searching the spreadsheet might not be the most beneficial thing for recording no. Zach. So I agree with you. This probably came up somewhere else, but just on this topic, are you against any gambling at the restaurant?
0: What do you think? No, not at all. See when it comes to customers gambling with their lives. I mean, I think
1: my biggest concern is that, you know, we might get cleaned out like the Mitchum brothers from Twin Peaks, Re- their return with, you know, Dougie Jones being Mr. Jackpots. So I don't want that to happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's it? You just got to mm-hmm for that?
0: That's it. That's it.
1: But, I mean, that's my argument for for not having slot machines.
0: I I don't – I'm not sure, Rob. <laughs>
1: What about a craps table then? How about that?
0: I told you, I'm on board with, with gambling in the restaurant. I'm not against that. Okay. Okay,
1: fine, Zach. Fine. We don't
0: want to do 40
1: minutes on how we d- do gambling in the restaurant. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Any other snacks that you had? I think those were all the ones that I had uh, and questions for you as well. Any others that you had? Any additions to the restaurant?
0: Not really. This is a probably a low snack film other than the low-hanging fruit.
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, okay. Well, then I guess with all that out of the way... Next week, of course, we are moving on to Martin Brest's third film, Beverly Hills Cop. Zach will not be here because, as I said last week, he gets the week off for this. It's going to be Ben and Rob discussing why this incredibly successful and well-loved movie is... Is cancer. Basically the equivalent of stage four colon cancer. Um, it's it's r- It's a really interesting episode. If you thoroughly enjoy Beverly Hills Cop we still recommend you check it out because I think Ben and I do a really interesting job at actually discussing why we don't like it. We aren't there just to shit on it like uh, like I've done before in the past with movies I don't like. So uh, after that, we will finish up our Martin Breast series with Midnight Run. Rob will give his rankings. And as I've been saying for a few weeks now, I'm still trying to tease it. Once March comes around, we got that fort year
0: so excited folks so excited
1: I'm pumped too I'm pumped too so uh, with all that being said definitely harass us at cinemodities at gmail.com or join in on or you know feel free to read Rob's posts on the cinemodities subreddit uh, where he keeps track of his director rankings and Maximo emails and things like that and of course as always come over to Cinema uh, patreon.com slash cinemodities I always want to say cinemodities.com slash patreon but, and subscribe to support the podcast and earn access to a lot of great bonus content that Zach is not involved with. And I think that's- exactly. If people like this Martin Brest series, you better like, you know, the Patreon stuff. But feel free to come over. All these links are in the show notes. And Zach, if you have nothing else to say, the final question is, how do we end this episode? And I think very nicely, that closing credits music in reverse. That nice little score- of going in style. We'll play it in reverse. We'll go in style. And I will try my goddamn hardest to make sure that the stupid Beverly Hills cop (laughs) does not bleed into the end of this episode because it is, it is truly the cancer of that movie.
0: Indeed.